0: Welcome to between the gutters where we talk about the stories within the panels i'm your co-host albert and with us is our other co-host
1: i'm drew tan
0: hello everybody and welcome to our episode to our new episode uh coming coming to you live uh we just wanted to acknowledge that you know this is a christmas night but by the time uh this episode comes out it's gonna be basically our last episode for the year 2020 and uh we thought that twenty twenty being such a monumental year uh, for a lot of people, just twenty twenty being such a yeah, like it's memorable. It's memorable. It's uh, for <laughs> some people it's bad. For some people it's worse. Uh, I imagine that there are some people who had a good year out there. Uh, but somewhere out there, somewhere out there. But we felt that with twenty twenty coming to an end, and uh, you know. With this being our final episode for the year, that it'd be cathartic for us to to cover the topic of fresh starts. You know, what have we got going on in 2021? So we really felt like for this episode, we're going to talk about our favorite fresh starts in comic books. Now,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's it's it's kind of a vague topic. It's kind of loose, uh, but maybe Drew, you can give us uh, give our listeners a little bit of. Uh, Give them a little bit of an idea of what we mean when we say Fresh Starts.
1: Sure. So when we talk about Fresh Starts in comics, typically there are uh, two things that, two, two main concepts that revolve around the idea of a fresh start. And, and those two concepts are either a reboot or a revamp. And I guess maybe a third one would just be any time a new creative team comes on board and wants to leave their mark on the character. But um, a lot of times the way that creators try to leave their mark on the character is by trying to do something to revitalize what they're writing, uh, the character that they're writing. Um, A lot of times that happens, especially in recent years, uh, a lot of times it happens when you see a new number one issue, you know, like what, what's a clearer way to indicate that this is a jumping on point by putting out a number one issue, even if, uh, you know, this, even if the series has been in circulation continuously, you know, you just restart the numbering um, yeah. and grab attention that way. Yeah. But sometimes a new creative team will jump on board to lift up a title that was kind of floundering or meandering, and they don't have to re renumber it, uh, which is fine. But as a reader, if you're if you're collecting that series, you'll definitely be able to tell that a fresh start has happened, regardless of seeing a new number one. Yeah. On the on the cover, and uh, yeah, sometimes uh, you'll even see. The same writer or the same creative team give their own series a fresh start in the middle of their run. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about all these different categories, and obviously, uh, there are times when an entire line of comics, like get a, an entire line of comics, gets a fresh start. Like you always see in recent years, especially like with DC when they did the New Fifty Two, uh, which we talked about in our fifty-second episode or a few years after that when they did DC rebirth they wanted to give an entire their entire publishing line a fresh start uh you know Marvel does it all the time also um you know they're they always calling them different things like yeah. all new all different uh Marvel now yeah. i think their most recent one was actually called fresh start yeah <laughs> well but uh it's, when you do it all when you do it so often it, it kind of loses its meaning and power
0: yeah yeah definitely I mean, what it boils down to is it's a change in status quo. So it's like you said, it either means that there'll be like a clear and obvious change, which will be like a new number one or a retitling of the series or, um, yeah, things like that, right? Or, Mm -hmm. or again, um, the other example will be like we wanted this to be something, we wanted this topic to be something that was flexible so uh yeah you mentioned earlier there are examples of stories that are already in progress that just suddenly take a massive shift in another direction so we just wanted to cover all of the different kinds of fresh different kinds and ways that fresh starts have been uh have been exercised in comics just
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know again just to celebrate the start of this new year
1: yeah, and I mentioned also uh, that typically the two main ways that the two main uh, methods we see it are either reboots or revamps. So maybe let's spend a, a brief amount of time just uh, describing what the difference between those are.
2: Yeah, it sounds So great a, a reboot,
1: what, what's that? I said sounds great to me. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so a reboot, uh, I would say is very similar to how in film we have have remakes. It's not, not exactly, uh, but a reboot is, is when you take an existing property and you ignore all of the previous continuity and everything that's been established and just start again from the ground up, right? Um, and then a revamp doesn't necessarily ignore all the previous continuity. It might pick and choose at bits of it, but really, it just kind of s- makes a point to establish some kind of new direction or a new tone or a new status quo for that property. I guess in comics, we don't really see remakes too often. I feel like that's something we see a lot in, in film and in, in TV. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in comics, uh, I, I I don't know. Do you? Can you think of any remakes in comics, Albert
0: um what's the dis- distinction between a remake and a reboot and a revamp I mean what's the di- distinction from a remake from those other two like just on just an actual like full retelling of the yeah
1: story? so I'd say a remake is is uh something that intentionally retells the original source material but in a with modern sensibilities. So it doesn't necessarily stray too far from the original stories like uh for for example uh well I'll give you one from from our list of comics man. So yeah. here here's here's a comic that I would actually say is a remake of a previous comic and the the comic is Pluto which is a manga by Naoki Urasawa. Mm. It's a remake of an old osamu tezuka comic you know uh the creator of astro boy yeah so tezuka created astro boy back in the day man and one of his most famous stories was called uh i think it was called the greatest robot on earth and what that story was about was about this this evil robot named pluto who went around the world destroying the seven greatest robots and it was up to astro boy to put a stop to that and that, that was a pretty simple straightforward story uh, you know for considering the era it came out in it was it wasn't anything too uh, I guess morally ambiguous or layered um, you know it was it was just a great adventure action story and in 2003 uh, Naoki Urasawa who's pretty famous for titles like Monster and 20th Century Boys, he teamed up with the estate of Tezuka and did a remake of that story arc and called it Pluto, which ended up being, I think, maybe an eight-volume, eight-or-nine-volume series Mm -hmm. that took the basic plot of the story, kept the idea of this evil robot named Pluto going around killing the seven greatest robots on earth but he transformed but the but Urawa transformed the story from something that was like really straightforward and simple and a pure action story and turned it into something that was uh, more of a, a a mystery and a procedural and ended up expanding that into like a commentary on robotics and artificial intelligence and a meditation on war like it, it ended up you know putting in a lot of modern sensibilities that weren't necessarily uh, at the forefront in the, in the original work, but it didn't, it didn't really change the basic plot. Right.
2: Right. Huh.
0: That's, that's a good example. I, I yeah, it's, I, 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 struggle to find something similar to that. Like the, the one that came to my mind was w- would ultimate Spider-Man count, uh, Spider-Man count as a remake
1: uh i guess you could make that argument yeah that's I mean, true i didn't i didn't think of that
0: based on your uh definition that's that was what the the first title that came to my mind was ultimate spider-man
1: that's that's true that's a good point yeah i didn't I, I didn't think of that initially uh i thought of that more of as a reboot but you know i'm not really gonna quibble over uh all of the semantics of it Yeah. Like the <laughs> <laughs> you know like i think i think if 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 we all if anybody just looks up the definitions of reboot or revamp or remake you know you can you can get the the gist of it all but yeah. for our episode we're we're really just focusing on the general concept of a fresh start so whether it's a reboot or a revamp or a remake it's kind of immaterial to the purposes of our uh discussion right
0: right totally And, uh, you know, just to help the conversation go a little easier, we're going to have four basic categories that, or five, well, we have six categories that the titles are going to fall under. Um, You know, do you want to list off the categories before we go into the comics?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we've got the, the one that's probably the most bountiful is New Number Ones by New Creative Team. That's the, yeah, category that we see a lot of, especially in today's age. Uh, but even you know, throughout time, anytime uh, there's been a new number one issue, it typically indicates a fresh start. Yeah. Uh, we also we also have uh, the another category is when new creative teams jump on board to uplift a meandering title. That that yeah. usually happens in some of the comics that we've already talked about in in our Marvel Top 25, for example, like when we talked about New X-Men by Morrison and Quietly, um, you know, they didn't renumber the series. They gave it, they did give it a new title because before it was New X-Men, it was just X-Men. But they kept the numbering. And, you know, it was, I don't even remember who was writing that series before they came on board.
0: It was, I think the era before that was the Claremont era where they were making a big deal of Claremont coming back.
1: Oh yeah. I'm That's right. Sure I, I that forgot was, about that.
0: I'm pretty sure that was that era. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Morrison was definitely better than that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like uh Frank Miller's Daredevil, you know, we talked about that and and how he came on to Daredevil and just it was a can, it was a title that was about to get canceled on the yeah. brink of cancellation and when Frank Miller came on board, he he turned it into a a winner. Yeah. Or uh, how about X Force by Peter Milligan and Mike Allred? You know we talked about that one too on our list, and that was a series where when they came on board, it was completely different from the previous yeah, issue.
0: Totally, totally.
1: Another category that it's kind of similar, but it's when a new creative team continues uh, the same basic style and tone of the previous team. So the the thinking behind this one was that if a new creative team comes in and leaves their mark on a series, I think we still consider that a fresh start, even if they're continuing some of the concepts or even the style or tone of the previous creative team. So like a good example of that would be when Ed Brubaker and Michael Lark joined on Daredevil because before them it was Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Malieve, and they were telling they told a, a a really satisfying crime story with Daredevil, and when Brubaker and Lark came on, they basically took uh, Bendis and Maliev's ending and continued, made it. It was a direct continuation. They like, they basically yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Bendis and Brubaker and and them, they were all friends, right? So they they actually, I know they from reading interviews, they communicated on how Bendis was going to end his story, so that Brubaker could continue it on. Yeah. But I, but, I, yeah yeah,
0: I was gonna mention that yeah there are in a lot of cases in certain books where you know it's somebody's baby or whatever where it's a project that they left their mark on if they have enough clout the uh the publishers will allow them to almost handpick the person that succeeds them you know so it's more of a collaborative experience and um. Yeah. It 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 really feels like the transition is smoother, but nonetheless yeah. they do make a big uh they do tend to bring a lot of attention to the fact that oh this new creative team is on and this is a uh you know we're going to continue with these stories but you know see what this new team does. Um Yeah, exactly. One of the one of the titles that we didn't put up on this that I I, wanted, I forgot to mention was, for example, like Jessica Jones by Brian Michael Bendis. Um, you know, that was something he created and he brought into, like, prominence. And um, it, I, I want to say it was beloved. I believe it was beloved. Uh, but yeah. when he left Marvel... We love it. Huh? Yeah, we, we love it, love it. We certainly. <laughs> love it. Uh, but when we left, when Bendis left uh, Marvel for DC, like... I think he handpicked like Rainbow Rowell to do it.
1: Or no, I, th- I think you're thinking of uh Kelly Thompson. I don't know I if he know. handpicked her actually. I'm not I'm not sure about that. Uh, I haven't heard. Did you I don't know.
0: Oh uh, I I'm I might have read something that gave me the impression that he
1: I can't know, remember.
0: That he 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 k he okayed the selection, but that could mean anything. <laughs> so anyways.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, Another category is when the same creative team or at the very least the same writer, because we know a lot of times it's a lot of artists, you know, end up leaving a book, but after a certain number of issues, but writers tend to be more likely to stay on for a longer period. But uh, yeah, another category is when the same writer or creative team gives his own run a fresh start. Like This is unusual, but it does happen. Like the big examples that that we have are some of the comics again that we talked about throughout our Marvel top twenty-five countdown. Like *Ecstatics*, right? Like *Ecstatics* by Milligan and Alred was giving their own uh, X Force run a fresh start. Yeah. Another one would be when uh, Ultimate Comics, uh, when Ultimate Spider-Man ended and became Ultimate Comics Spider-Man. So basically when when uh, Bendis killed off Peter Parker and introduced Miles Morales you know that Well you no know, I I I can I personally consider that uh, giving his own series a fresh start I mean I if you make the argument that it's a completely new series sure that's fine I'm not going to well, die on that The one example
0: kill. one of the examples that I was thinking uh, was like Chichester on Daredevil, right? I think for a lot of his run he was writing uh you know, he was writing the the Daredevil that we all knew and loved and at one point he decides to go in this I remember you telling me this story Drew where you were reading his one comic, I think it was Fall from Grace. Yeah. You were telling me that you read some interviews where he was like saying, "Well, we followed up Frank Miller's run and we really felt like we were competing with the ghost of that series and we really had to do some extreme stuff to like get the momentum on our side. So, you know, they gave Daredevil a new costume and they like threw in all these other story elements and just, you know, they went for it, you know?
2: Yeah. yeah and it that, totally was
0: something, did. that was something that he did well into his run, you know? Yeah. So that's what... Like that's what the example that I was thinking of.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, we have two more categories. Uh, one more. The one category is line-wide fresh starts. So you know things like, uh, you know, the the DC New Fifty Two or DC Rebirth or Marvel Now, when they give yeah. their entire line uh, a fresh start, and the the final category that. we'll touch on (laughs) is rotten starts. (laughs) (laughs) We just try our our
0: best to be positive, but we just get so much delight and energy and, you know,
2: enjoyment
0: (laughs) from just crapping on things. (laughs) That's just who we are. Yeah. (laughs) Don't hate us. (laughs)
1: Uh, all right so let's talk about some fresh starts that were uh that came in new number ones by new creative teams what are some of the ones that that uh you want to highlight albert
0: first one on the list and this was the first one that came to mind for me was jla so uh this was by grant morrison and howard porter and uh prior to this they most likely been known as the justice league uh, in, or some incarnation of the Justice League, and uh, the era specifically prior to the JLA was the I think it was the Detroit era. Was was that the era, Drew?
1: Wait, the uh, the Detroit era was the eighties, man.
0: Oh my bad. So there was, I
1: think a, you're you're thinking of uh, Extreme Justice or you know that really bad nineties Justice League era. Task Force. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Justice League Task Force, uh, Justice League Extreme.
0: Yeah, whatever, but yeah, those were the version incarnations. I think it was just
1: called Extreme Justice.
0: Yeah, but those were the incarnations of this classic team of superheroes, and you could tell that they were trying to live up to um, whatever the aesthetics were of that period by, you know, making the team
2: extreme. <laughs> <laughs> to <Toodler>! the. <laughs>
0: Those two books I'm pretty sure were failures. Like, I, I don't have the numbers for how they did financially, but you know, even to this day, people don't really remember them or talk about those books. But when Grant Morrison, who was uh, a known quantity at this point, who was a well known writer on and who had done things like Animal Man and uh, his Doom Patrol, you know, these books that we've mentioned on this podcast before. DC decided to put him uh you know this unconventional writer and put him on their flagship title which was the JLA. The name went from the Justice League to just JLA and that's all they needed. And mm-hmm. at first number 1 those the, that first story arc New World Order it was just it was the Justice League that we've always wanted. I mean granted there are things about it that aren't perfect um Superman has a mullet, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, mullet. That's that's probably the one blemish. (laughs) Mullet. Well, there was also Electric Superman, but anyways,
1: that was Um, later on in the run. Yeah, but the the first couple issues, at least, he he wasn't uh, electric.
0: Yeah, but Grant Morrison, uh, you know, he he decided I'm going to take this book back to basics. I'm going to take the the best top 7 superheroes in the DC universe and put them all on one team because that's who the team should be and I'm just going to have them facing global threats.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just like the the biggest threats that that nobody could ever handle, you know? Like the I know that Morrison's approach to the team was essentially the JLA is the Pantheon of God Right, right. Everybody was hyper competent. You know, you had all of the biggest heavy hitters in DC Comics. You had Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Martian Martian Manhunter, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman. You know, that that's what it started with, and and then the roster would get bigger um, as time went on, and the threats would get bigger exponentially as well. And yeah, it was just really effective in selling the concept of the JLA to the reader, you know, like yeah. up to that point, I, I never really was super into the justice league. Right. Uh, it, it was something that I knew about. Like I knew that there was a justice league, but then when I'd pick up a random nineties DC comic back in those days and see justice league, I didn't really know anything or care too much about, uh, captain adam or yeah uh booster gold or somebody you know
0: right 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 yeah it's uh it was a really good fresh start and like the the funny thing is like i i rag on those comics that came before it i rag on extreme justice and justice league task force or whatever but Mm -hmm. the, the jla did a more effective job of telling an extreme Justice League story than any of those books ever did. Yeah. And on top of that, like... I, In a backhanded way, I want to say that we would not have gotten something like the JLA if we didn't get something as bad as those comics that came before it. Yeah, (laughs) that's true, man. That's true. we, We needed something to, like, take the Justice League to the lowest depths possible before someone could come they would hire someone to come around and be like look this is our flagship title we want you to make people love these guys again and then, yeah. like, of course, did
1: yeah they made the jla great again
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh i that's too many letters for me to put together JLA. <laughs> <laughs> <Badalaga. Badalaga. laughs> I'm <laughs> having a seizure. You guys can't tell.
1: <laughs> Shankadanka.
0: Shankadanka. Buy our new t shirt. Get our new merch. Our Majelaga shirts <laughs> <laughs> and hats.
1: <laughs> so,
0: you want to go to the next title?
1: Yeah. What else you got, Albert? What else you got?
0: So we're constantly talking about um, the new X-Men. We just mentioned it earlier in this title, uh, new X-Men also by Grant Morrison. But, um, you know, I wanted to follow it up by giving love to some of the other creative teams that have worked on the X-Men that we we loved just as much, you know? And one Mm -hmm. one of the titles that we don't cover quite as much is The Astonishing X-Men by Joss Whedon and uh, John Cassidy. And... This was a, this was a pretty fun story too. Like the, the one thing, the, the, the first thing that jumps to my mind when I think of this series, and this isn't, you know, a put down for Joss Whedon. Yeah. But the, the first thing that jumps to my mind is that John Cassidy drew it and he drew it all the way through. Yep. I don't think there were any guest artists or anything like that. And
1: no guest artists,
0: no guest artists. His art, like, I love his art. I think it's just great-looking stuff. And for him to be able to draw the entire run of the series with Joss Whedon, it just makes it just immaculate, you know?
1: Yeah, it it truly makes it an evergreen story. Yeah. An Um, evergreen run. Like, 25 issues.
0: Yeah. Do you want to... Do you have, like, a... Do you think you could sum up in a couple of sentences what the plot of it is if not necessarily the plot just what the spirit of the, of the comic was
1: well i think i'd have an easier time summing up the spirit of the comic so so what we have with astonishing x-men was it came out right after grant morrison left marvel and left the x-men so there's an interesting uh, backstory to why morrison left I, I think if you just you know go on the internet you can read all sorts of it's a lot um, of drama stuff about yeah the drama between him and and joe quesada and, and marvel i, I mean I, I don't even know if it's like 100 verified or true but um basically all we know is morrison left the x-men after really leaving a mark on them you know he, he changed when he took over the x-men he he turned them from like your typical superhero comic into something that was genuinely new you know like we had never really seen the x-men operate uh as i don't know i I guess not only just as a school but um as an international type of organization yeah uh with with that kind of competency you know the like one of the biggest things that um visually happened during the new x-men run was how all of the x-men no longer wore these garish superhero costumes but they had a uniform yeah basically wearing black leather and day glow yellow yeah and then the first thing that happens after he leaves is everybody comes back wearing their costumes yeah
0: <laughs> like um, a that i remember in 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 maybe like the first couple of issues, I don't remember which specific one, but uh, it's Scott Summers talking to the rest of the team, and he just mm-hmm. talks about how, like, we're superheroes, you know? So we have to go back out into the world. We have to astonish them. Yeah. You remember that?
1: Yeah. And That's exactly what happens. They, they, Weedon and Cassidy tried to explain the reasoning behind it.
0: Yeah. And it's like, you know for for those of you who who aren't like familiar with or who aren't used to comics or familiar with comics like that pretty much uh, sums up like what it is about comics that makes me keep coming back to comics it's like the the wonder of the superhero the idea of the superhero right like reading these stories it's it's exactly that it's it's ability to astonish me and just to like, give me hope in people because people generally don't give me hope.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: we have to find our hope in in fictional characters.
0: <laughs> in real life, Wolverine would be a deadbeat dad. <laughs>
1: hey, an would that be dad in the comics too, <laughs> man?
0: That's true. That's true. <laughs> And yet, I still like the comic book version of Wolverine. What does that say? <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: Astonishing X Men was a fun run because it it don't get me wrong because I, I loved what Grant Morrison did, but with Astonishing, that that was a different take compared to New X Men. You know, it, it definitely wasn't something that was trying to
0: remake the wheel
1: yeah i wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel it wasn't it wasn't i'd say like this is not intended as a like a disrespectful or backhanded compliment or insult or anything but i would say new x-men strive to be more uh intellectual in its approach to superheroes whereas astonishing x-men kind of reveled in like the the yeah, it, it just reveled in, in the essence of superheroes without trying to be pretentious. But it also wasn't dumb, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, I was going to say that it was essentially the best version of, like, superhero... It was the best version of the X-Men superhero comics trying to be the superhero comics, you know? like Yeah. If, if yeah. you consider, like, the standard X-Men superhero comics to be something like Scott Lobdell... <laughs> who, or Chris Claremont, who wrote those stories for eras, essentially, um, yeah. Like this was in the vein of those, but substantially better.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're gonna have to. We'll, we'll we'll have an episode one of these days where we uh, address the Claremont truthers.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: there's there's a lot to address. There's a lot to address.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is a spoiler, and well, I guess this is kind of a spoiler, but but uh, for those of you who've been listening to our Marvel top twenty-five countdown, I'm gonna say right off the bat that the Dark Phoenix saga is not number one.
0: <laughs> we're sorry if you were hoping and wishing for it, but it's yeah, we're gonna we're here to ruin some Christmases for people. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey kids, Santa ain't real.
1: And speaking of our Marvel Top 25, if uh, everything goes according to plan, uh, that number one on the list should probably be our uh, next episode.
0: Yep. So, if, if things go to plan. Stay tuned. Yep. Moving on to the next one, we have um, New Avengers by Brian Michael Bendis and David Finch. Uh, David Finch, he's an artist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he's... He's not someone that either of us is particularly too fond of.
0: Yeah, I, like I can that. I can read his
1: comics uh, if the stories are good, and I would say his run with Bendis on Adventures was probably some of my favorite David Finch comics, if only because they're some of the only David Finch comics I sat through because the because of the writer. <laughs>
0: So the story behind New Avengers is uh, what Brian Michael Bendis at this point in time, he had come on uh, the Avengers. And up to this point, we had Kurt Busiek and George Perez, along with other various artists who had done the Avengers. And then following him, we had Geoff Johns and um, I think Scott Collins was one of his artists, as well as I forget who the other ones were. But, you know, uh, wait, I think uh, what's his name? Uh, The French guy Okayed
1: Olivier up. Coypel huh Olivier Coipel.
0: Olivier Coypel yeah Olivier Coipel was one of the artists and um there was one other one I, I can't remember at the moment but um so
1: these Kieran are,
0: Dwyer Kieran Dwyer so these weren't bad Avengers comics but when Bendis came on the whoa, whoa, whoa,
1: wait. hold up man hold up after Jeff Johns we had Chuck Austin you forgot about Chuck Austin dude
0: there, you're right, Chuck That Austin. was a bad
1: comic. <laughs> that
0: was genuinely a bad comic. You are right. Okay, okay.
1: Dude, yeah. that, that was a rotten start. And the funny thing about that was I think the first issue of Chuck Austin's Avengers run was one of those 25-cent comics so people would buy it. It
0: was. It was. I remember I bought it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I bought it too. <laughs> it was, was to- such a bad run.
0: Yeah. I mean, the art was good in that. Uh, yeah. But it was a bad run. It wasn't worse than his X-Men stuff, I don't think. But I like I would even say that it was readable.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least Olivier Coypel drew some of those too.
0: Yeah. So at this point in time, Brian Michael Bendis was kind of... He he was the it guy at the moment. I think uh, he had already been working on Ultimate Spider-Man at this point.
1: Yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man was yeah. in full swing.
0: Yeah, so he was... was he was
1: Daredevil, Alias... In-
0: yeah, he was a known quantity. He was he was their it guy. You know, he he was like batting, batting a hundred. This guy, so they decided mm-hmm. to put him on the Avengers. A thousand. a thousand. He was batting a thousand, and they decided to put him on the the flagship title for for Marvel Comics, which was the Avengers. And the
1: first- well, you gotta you gotta remember it the other way, man, because at the time, Avengers was not a flagship title at all.
0: That's true. I I just meant flagship title in the sense that it had all of their you know. It, it it had Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man, so it was kind of their it was their like A-list team, at least in the universe, it was their A-list A-list team. Yeah. But uh you're right. It wasn't it wasn't a top team. In real side
1: life team. it was not the A-list team.
0: Yeah, in real exactly.
1: This was before the Marvel movies, so people didn't give a crap about Iron Man.
0: Yeah, yeah. Man. That hurt to hear.
1: It's true, <laughs> man. It's true. You know you know it's true.
0: It is, it is. I mean, even though he's super cool to us, like no one no one cared about yeah. him at that point in time. But
1: Avengers wasn't a high selling comic until Bendis came on it. Exactly. So when he actually came on on Avengers right after Chuck Austin and did a a four or five issue storyline called Avengers Disassembled where he completely exactly. basically, you know, tore the down thing,
0: Yeah, the first thing he did was he destroyed the team
1: <laughs> yeah a yeah. lot of people didn't like it a lot of people were mad from what i remember because yeah. he was ruining the classic avengers concept and then when he did new avengers he basically admitted as much in an interview i remember where he said that he looked at morrison's jla and was like marvel needs to do the same thing you know like we need to have a team where the avengers are marvel's biggest heroes you know and and, uh, you know, sorry to say, but the likes of uh, Wonder Man aren't going to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's like. Hercules ain't the guy. <laughs> yeah. Hercules ain't the guy, man. If you're going to have Marvel's big guns on a team, you got to have Wolverine. You know, yeah. simple as that. It has to have Wolverine. It has to have Spider-Man. Yeah. It has, put uh, Iron Man and Captain America there and you got a foundation.
0: Yeah. So they redid the whole team and they put, uh, again, yeah, you, you got you hit it right on the money, man. They put Spider Man. They put the the most recognizable names that they could to draw in as many readers as they could onto this title. Mm-hmm. So you put Spider Man on it. You put Wolverine on it. Cap, Iron Man, and then you throw a couple of other people in there for power. So they had you know guys like the Sentry. Um, I think Miss Marvel was on the team at the time.
1: No, was- she wasn't on New Avengers. It was the original team was. Uh- Wolverine, right? Spider Man, Cap, Iron Man, uh, oh, Luke Cage, The Sentry, and Spider Woman. Yeah. And then I think in this, in like the second or third arc, uh, Echo joined.
0: Yeah. So. So Thor,
1: Thor was dead at the time. In case you're wondering, in case listeners are wondering, where was Thor? But he was he was dead at the time.
0: Yeah. So. Brian Michael Bendis, he he, you know, he made the Avengers great. Mega.
1: <laughs> That's he, gonna be like the recurring theme. He mega
2: them. <laughs> he mega <mag-ed laughs> them. <laughs> and this he is a mega I can get
1: behind. Again.
0: This is a mega I can get behind.
1: <laughs> Make the Avengers great again. <laughs> uh, and it, it it was a massive success because he took the Avengers from just kind of being a middling title into the cornerstone yeah, of the marvel universe like not only was it suddenly one of their top selling series but it ended up being the foundational piece for their entire fictional universe where all of the events that would come out over the next um you know eight years or so
0: avengers basically Secret spun avengers. out of
1: avengers yeah
2: totally. his
1: new avengers yeah and yeah. he he had a long run so if you ever decide to dive into that run you'll have a lot of reading ahead of you because i think he wrote for around eight or nine years like that includes a couple times when he had spin-off titles like the mighty avengers dark avengers uh he even relaunched it at one point where there was an he wrote a new avengers and an avengers series later on in the run so yeah if you if you uh, take his entire body of work in the Avengers, it's a substantial amount of comics.
0: Yep, yep. Good choice. Uh, the next item or the next comic that we wanted to mention was Moon Knight. We're specifically talking about the Charlie Houston and David Finch era. There's that name again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> David Finch, man. I, I guess uh, we like him more than we thought.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So prior to this, Moon Knight as a character. So uh, for those of you who uh, are more familiar with the movies, you might notice that Moon Knight is his name that's coming up in the the next phase of Marvel movies. So you know, pay attention to this guy. But um, he's someone that I was a fan of more in concept than in terms of any actual stories uh i did end up reading his earlier stuff which was by doug moach and uh bill sickowitz and the art for that was gorgeous but uh if i had to be perfectly honest like that probably wasn't still wasn't my ideal Moon night I, I i preferred it for i like loved it for the art but i it just wasn't stories that um brought me a whole lot of joy uh and then in the '90s, they did a bunch of other Moon Knight stuff where they were trying out a bunch of different things, and it wasn't anything like I—I I don't know how long those issues ran for, but they were pretty forgettable. Um, you know, just trying to take Moon Knight and put him in the extreme uh, category. And
1: yeah, I remember like, when Stephen Platt was Stephen Platt was drawing Moon Knight. Yeah, he was just one of those kind of a uh, Rob Liefeld artist style artist where he's, everybody was super buff and had muscles on muscles, and yeah, It just think, looked bad.
0: And I think like part of his shtick in that period was like he was he was like fighting the occult or something because he he had like a his ank was a weapon, you know that weird Egyptian uh mm-hmm. temple thing, you know. So, yeah, it was kind of like their attempt to do like a. Dr. Fate meets Constantine. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> but Moon Knight by Charlie Houston and David Finch was... I remember when when they plugged it, uh, Charlie Houston, he came from outside of comics. He was a crime fiction writer. And mm-hmm. he brought those sensibilities to Moon Knight. He, uh, the Moon Knight that he reintroduced to the world was... He... so part of Moon Knight's backstory was he was always kind of unstable, mentally unstable as a character. And Charlie Houston just really ran with that idea and full on just made Moon Knight just straight up crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when we first, when we come back in, uh when we come back into, when we're reintroduced to Moon Knight. So part of Moon Knight's backstory is he's kind of, a lot of people see him as kind of a wannabe Batman because he's he's a crime fighter, but he has uh, a lot of money in his personal life. So he has, you know, a mansion and his own moon copter and moon mobile. <laughs> <laughs> the moon dog. <laughs> you know, his own moon wonder.
2: <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: but... So, there, there are a lot of uh, comparisons uh, between Moon Knight and Batman. Like, a lot of people would would probably even uh, look at Moon Knight and be like, and say that he's just a ripoff of Batman. Um, and I think that's how he was viewed for a long time. But when Charlie Houston took over this character and brought him back to the attention of people, again, he just decided, well, what's the thing that makes him different is that this guy's mentally unstable. He has like identity issues, you know, like split personalities. So, you know, when we're, when we come back and see Moon Knight, he's essentially just a hobo. Who's just living, yeah. uh, you know, living as a hobo part-time and beating up people as Moon Knight the rest of the time. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think th- the thing that uh, really grabbed my attention was how, how Houston, tapped into Moon Knight's origin or his his, his established history and did something that I, I don't remember really seeing being done before. So Moon Knight's backstory is that he was a mercenary who was doing some jobs in, in Egypt at some point and he ended up uh, basically getting shot up and left for dead but uh apparently Khonsu who is the Egyptian god of
0: vengeance or vengeance no, one those vengeance
1: things? and the moon i forget <laughs> but um <laughs> apparently Khonsu uh you know saves Moon Knight's life and and that's what leads him to become Moon Knight uh but the the thing is that there's some ambiguity to it in the sense that
0: did he the way that Houston
1: presents it is that we're not really sure if if Kanshu is really this uh cosmic deity or or entity that that has these godlike powers, or if it's just Mark Specter, um, you know, Moon Knight's real name. Is, is it just Mark Specter imagining this voice in his head talking to him, telling him to go out and beat people up? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I
0: mean, I'm good with either of those, but there is something entertaining about the idea of just a madman just beating people up because he, he hears voices in his head and he believes that the voice of an Egyptian moon god is telling him to beat people up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's one thing I really liked about that run, too, was the ambiguity of it all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, following Charlie Houston's run was, wasn't even that long. I want to say it was maybe 12, maybe 13 issues, including – Yeah. Rachel. So the yeah. you know, thing about it is after him, he was followed up by a lot of writers. Maybe not all of them were good. Uh, like, I think Mike Benson followed him. I think that was mm-hmm. it. And then, But then after that, you got had guys like Jeff Lemire and Warren Ellis. And uh, You're probably, talking
1: more recent years, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, oh, no, after, no you're right. After Mike Benson, there was Horowitz. George Horowitz wrote him for a while. And then Warren Ellis took over but
1: well you all there's also uh the brian michael bendis and alex maleve era too oh yeah yeah sorry don't forget about that
0: you're right but my point being that after charlie houston moon knight was a character that was back on the radar and even though they might not have been a consecutive run for that character like he had a bunch of different series following this series it, it really revitalized him and brought him back to the public eye um in a big bad way
1: yeah yeah ever ever since houston uh ever since houston did his run a key element of every moon night since has been this
0: his craziness
1: (laughs) yeah yeah his his craziness and just the fact that he thinks he's the avatar of the egyptian god of vengeance yeah and you you as the reader you're not exactly sure if he really is or if he's just crazy (laughs)
0: moon knight avatar of nothing
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's a good one man
0: so what's the next title we got
1: well the next ones i'm just going to talk about them as a as a group of titles because these are comics that i think uh people are generally familiar with with them regardless of whether uh they read comics or not but uh there, there are you know pop culture uh, properties that that uh, you know we're all familiar with because they're on TV or cartoons or whatever. But there are comics based on them too, which at times are, are pretty enjoyable. So I, I just wanted to mention this run on GI Joe that I really liked. Uh, GI Joe: America's Elite by Joe Casey and Stefano Caselli. That was from like the mid two thousands. That was a a new take on the G.I. Joe mythos. Um, It's been a while since I read it, but I'd say as somebody who grew up reading a lot of G.I. Joe comics, America's Elite was something that I uh, really enjoyed just because it was a little less... uh, kooky than some of the G.I. Joe comics I grew up with. I mean, I I enjoy those old Larry Hama G.I. Joes, but sometimes they could become pretty soap opera-ish. And I think when Casey took over it, he he made the cast a lot smaller and that gave the series a a deeper focus on the G.I. Joe versus Cobra conflict. Another thing that I think people know about would be Archie. So several years ago, Mark Wade and Fiona Staples revamped Archie uh, Staples left after a couple issues, but Mark Wade wrote it for I forget like at least twenty something or maybe close to thirty issues and he he basically uh, rebooted the entire Archie concept, so Archie was no longer trapped in this uh, you know the the classic Archie style, right like now Archie was looking like a normal modern comic as opposed to something that was a throwback to the forties or fifties. And he made, and Mark Wade made Archie more of a, a, a sitcom, I guess, like a, a romantic comedy, maybe like there was still definitely the, the love triangle between Betty, Archie and Veronica, but he tried to do it in a way where it wasn't just Archie being a jerk and stringing, two girls along you know because that i guess that wouldn't really fly in today's society (laughs) Uh, imagine like if somebody did a a take on archie where he was just this this uh he's a cad yeah exactly (laughs) like that that's not really an archie comic anybody wants to read i don't think
0: yeah yeah it's uh yeah, yeah I'm I'm not gonna There are some ideas that just become antiquated and we you have to find a new way to get back in there and uh and they deserve to be modernized so yeah uh I don't deny that
1: <laughs> I haven't watched any of uh Riverdale but the Mark Wade Archie comic probably was part of that whole movement that Archie comics did where they were trying to reinvigorate all of their stuff, you know, like they wanted to be uh, relevant to current readers. They didn't want to just be trapped in this cycle of nostalgia. So yeah. they, they did new comics. Uh, there wasn't just Archie. Like they even did a Jughead comic, uh, Betty and Veronica comic, yeah, Sabrina, the teenage witch. Like they were doing a whole bunch of stuff. There was afterlife with Archie, which yeah. was, which was uh, an Archie slash zombies story uh and things like riverdale so you know that the people that own archie are trying to do stuff to get people to to read or or watch their things man uh another another uh property that a couple years ago had a new number one that ended up being way better than i expected was power rangers from boom studios nice Kyle, kyle higgins was the writer i I think the artist was named Henry prasietta i forget exactly his name probably butchered his name so my bad on that but uh yeah cal higgins did a take on power rangers the classic 90s power rangers that that you and i grew up with at least and made it uh just told a story that that's set in uh modern times with modern sensibilities and try he tried to make it more epic and it's it's pretty entertaining man it's uh the superhero comic that I didn't expect to read, where he he ends up doing like some of the stuff is kind of the tropes that you see a lot, where there's a like the days of future past, right? Like there's a, a grim future, and yeah. now they have to figure out what they can do to prevent that grim future from happening. Yeah, yeah, but. I felt like the stuff that he did with that in Power Rangers was pretty entertaining. So if if anybody out there has uh, nostalgic vibes for the 90s Power Rangers, like the original Power Rangers, definitely you should check out uh, the Boom Studios Power Rangers comics.
2: Nice.
1: And then uh, another one, another property that everybody knows is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I would definitely recommend the IDW run, which... I forget which year it began. It's probably been like, I don't know, maybe 10 years by now. But uh, IDW, they their run on Power Rangers, I mean uh, on Ninja Turtles, basically takes elements from every other incarnation of the Turtles and kind of does a mashup where they're just influenced by all the Turtle stuff from the past in every medium but they do their own spin on it. So if you were a fan of the 80s Mirage Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the, the 80s Turtles cartoon or even the the early 2000s cartoon or the Archie 90s comics, you know, like all these different unrelated elements of Ninja Turtles with all these different tones and, and demographics that they were targeted at, they all have... Uh, a place in the IDW run where you might see something just reimagined and, and reinvigorated in a way for so it makes sense with um, what they're doing with the series. I, I would definitely recommend reading it. It's it's pretty long too, and I think it's it's got to be like around 100 issues or so. Nice. What's next, Albert?
0: Uh, following that up, we have uh, the Losers by andy diggle and jock so the thing about this that makes it a fresh start is it's actually the title the losers was based off an older much older existing comic which was i'm not really too familiar with what the original it was comic, a it was a
1: comic. robert Kaniger uh war comic i think from the from the late 60s i think it was robert Kaniger, uh but
0: part of me wants to say that they it was were basically the like like a suicide squad or something right it was just like a team of dudes who just called themselves the losers
1: yeah i don't think it was like the suicide squad it was it was really more of a war comic yeah like like a world war ii kind of thing
2: yeah
1: um i don't even think i ever read any of those but that, yeah. that's that's really all i i know but yeah. uh but but it was a title in the early 2000
0: in the public eye for a while and yeah uh, like
1: there weren't really anybody that anybody th- thought about It was just something that DC owned and they hadn't done anything with them in years, if not decades. Yeah. Uh, And I think they actually might've asked Andy Diggle and Jock if they had anyone, if they had any existing properties that they'd want to tackle. And they decided they would do a new take on the losers. Nice. And, and their take on the losers was a vertigo title. So it was mature readers And it ended up being an espionage story. uh, Kind of a, I'd say a a paranoid espionage thriller that dealt a lot with corruption in the CIA. Mm. So it's something that I would definitely recommend. I I think it's probably Andy Diggle's best work. Uh, If he's written anything better than that, it's not coming to mind right now, but I I, I like it a lot, man. It's, it's something i would highly recommend seeking out they even made a movie based on this incarnation of the losers yeah. uh well when did it come out like maybe 10 years ago 12 years ago i forget
0: yeah it's it's been a while now i don't remember exactly but uh, yeah
1: i i remember watching it and it 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 had a chris evans was in it and i think i want to say idris elba was in it
0: he was in it and so was the Jeffrey Dean Morgan, the guy who plays uh uh Negan in in The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was in it too.
2: Um,
1: yeah.
0: You know there are some recognizable names. Uh. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd say that one of the things that I do love about I, I did love about the series was Jock's art. Jock is. Uh, yeah. He's a spectacular artist. He, he's an incredible
1: he, stylist.
0: Yeah. Um. I wouldn't say that his stuff looks, like, real uh, in the... Yeah, I mean, you, you hit it on the money when you said he's an incredible stylist. Like, it, like his the way he draws things, they, they've got a look that's very unique and specific to him. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, I'd say the way he draws people is maybe not photorealistic, but it's realistic enough. Uh, but it's really the way that he designs the world and the settings and like uh, the motion and the action, that stuff looks really cool.
1: Yeah, totally. Hmm. Uh, Speaking of uh, Robert Kaniger creations, another one was unknown soldier. Yeah, and in the, I think late nineties, Garth Ennis and Killian Plunkett did their own vertigo take on unknown soldier.
0: Yep. It was a four issue miniseries, And so I don't really remember too much about the original Unknown Soldier uh, series, other than
1: All I know is it was another war comic.
0: Yeah, it was another war comic, and I think the theme of it was always that the soldier in that particular story had like some sort of facial scars or something where yeah, th- that's what made him unknown, you know?
1: Yeah. And,
0: and they modernized it as the unknown soldier um, with Garth Ennis and killing Plunkett. So so it was completely removed from that World War II era, and it was really it, – it's similar to The Losers in the sense that it was a story about um, modern – CIA?
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, the CIA and paranoia against uh, the the espionage state gone rogue. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I don't really remember too much about it because it's been a while, but I do know that the lasting impression that it left on me was that it was something that I did enjoy and that I more than enjoy. I liked it uh, quite a bit. I just, but it's just been a while since I read it. Um, And it also reminds me that even more recently, even though it's been a while, there was another unknown soldier after that that was also uh, something that I, I ended up picking up all the issues of, but I I haven't read, but it's by Joshua Dysart, and um, that's probably another example of this old title getting new life and a fresh start. So yeah, those those unknown soldiers are are some you know some comics I'm glad to uh, plug on this list. And, totally uh, and the final thing was Pluto which you mentioned earlier in our uh earlier yeah. introduction
1: yeah I mean there there we had so many when we were thinking about new number ones because like that's probably the most plentiful bountiful uh category yeah you know totally. the, like just think about all these comics over the years that we've loved they all had to start with the number ones at some point right so yeah you know the, yeah there's just too many to really discuss in detail like I, I was thinking of things like conan from dark horse by Busiek and carrie nord and you know brubaker and darwin cook's Catwoman, or even uh the brian Azzarello and richard corbin cage the max series like there, there are just like so many titles that we could be talking about right now but but uh we probably should move on
0: yeah so So, our next category following that up is new creative teams jumping on board to uplift a meandering title so uh these fresh starts like we mentioned are just ones in which uh pre-existing titles are kind of floundering not doing so well and new teams are put on it to breathe new life into it and put attention on it so that new readers can jump on and, you know, make them popular again. Mm-hmm. So what do you got, Drew?
1: Well, one thing was Fantastic Four by Mark Wade and Mike Weiringo. That was one of the ones that, that came to the forefront because right. prior to their run, the Fantastic Four series of the early 2000s it was it had, pretty forgettable. Yeah, they had I mean, a string of creative teams that neither of us are too fond of.
0: We had to look and it up
1: on Wikipedia. Just,
0: huh? I said we had to look it up on Wikipedia before we actually had the this uh, before the episode actually started to yeah. On it. And yeah, we had names like Chris Claremont wrote it for a while. Scott Lobdell. Carlos Pacheco wrote Andrew it, um, and and he co-wrote it for a while with uh, uh, Raphael Marin, and then he co-wrote it with Jeff Loeb for a while. You know, and if you know us, most of the names on this uh, list aren't names that we jump for joy to hear.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's, uh, putting it mildly.
0: It's Christmas, Drew. I'm trying to, I'm trying to wish goodwill towards men here. <laughs> okay,
1: okay. Peace on earth.
0: Peace on earth, for today, <laughs> but tomorrow, <laughs> just you watch. <laughs> so, um, yeah, these were these were uh, writers, and even now in retrospect, uh, the stories that they wrote on them, I can honestly say most people. Uh, don't remember them i've never had a conversation with anyone who talked about the the claremont fantastic fours that he wrote in this era have you nope yep exactly
1: i remember reading some of them like i remember finding some random issues in a quarter bin at some point Mm -hmm. in the past 15 years and just getting them for the heck of it yeah but uh yeah those weren't good comics
0: Well, my friend Daniel gave me a bunch of his comics when he joined the Marines, and um, there was a chunk of them that were by Chris Claremont, and I remember reading those when I was um, clearing out stuff from my house, because I was like, man, I should just check these out just because I have them before I decide to just, you know, get rid of them. Mm -hmm. And I read them, oof, man, oof. (laughs)
1: uh i will yeah so
0: i will say that i bought some of the carlos pacheco stuff at the time just because i like
1: he's a good artist
0: he's a good artist and i remember reading some of the stuff on um wizard and they got me you know they they enticed me enough where i read it but
1: the wizard hype machine tricked you into buying something that you ordinarily wouldn't have bought
0: well I mean, my my tastes were a lot less discerning back in the day, so I bought it just because the the premise alone was enough to to get me on board. But yeah, if I had to be completely honest with myself, I'd, I I'd have to say that even then, I I just willed myself into liking them just because I had <laughs> and I needed to believe that I liked them. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, but. Yeah, suffice it to say that all these comics, all these Fantastic Four comics in this era, were pretty forgettable up until Mark Wade and Mike Waringo came on, and uh, man, they blew it out of the water, you know.
1: Yeah, their first issue was it? Did you say that was issue sixty or what issue was it?
0: I have the um, thing right up here. Da 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 da. Mark Wade. Uh... Mark Wade took over as writer as of issue 60 slash 489. So you remember that era where they were putting both the numbers on, yeah. on the issues? So it yeah. was the modern numbering along with the classic numbering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to try to have your cake and eat it too.
1: <laughs> and I, I remember that their first issue was a nine cent issue.
0: I remember that because DC had just released the 10 cent issue and they wanted to outdo them yeah (laughs) they released a 10 cent batman issue and they were like oh yeah we're gonna release a nine cent fantastic four issue yeah that was
1: pretty funny man (laughs) but i i actually think that one issue of fantastic four is one of the greatest single issues of fantastic four ever because it, it tells a complete story within one issue and that story also exemplifies why the fantastic four are a cool team like it it talks about the fantastic four as a cast of characters individually but more importantly as a family Hmm. and secondly as a group of adventurers imaginots.
0: yeah like from what i remember that first story was about them encountering a living mathematical equation
1: that that was the first uh, story arc, but I'm talking about the first issue.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: The first right. issue was was where they meet with this uh, public relations firm because this PR team wants to you know fix their image and make them cool. Because you know, in a kind of a nod to real life, at the time, Fantastic Four wasn't really popular. People didn't really care about Fantastic Four. It wasn't one of Marvel's top selling books or anything like that. Yeah. Well, you so can they- make
0: that we still kind of live in that reality Uh,
1: yeah that's true but i think there was a period of time when the fantastic four was a little bit more prominent too
0: yeah yeah no there was the hickman run yeah following that you're right their their popularity seems to ebb and flow so um yeah i mean following wade's run you had a pretty decent he had a pretty good, decent couple of years where they had some some good names on it for long periods of time. So
1: Yeah, he went from uh, Wade and Weringo to uh, – well, I think well, JMS wrote it for a while. I wasn't wrote- too big a fan of him. Yeah. But then uh, Dwayne McDuffie had a run, and then Mark Miller and Brian Hitch had a run, and then that was when Jonathan Hickman took over, and, yeah, that that was the best.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man.
1: Another uh, time where uh, a new creative team took over to uplift something that was kind of uh, moribund was on Thunderbolts when Warren Ellis and Mike Diodato Jr. came on board.
0: Yeah, so the premise of the Thunderbolts was that uh, in the mat- aftermath of a catac- like catastrophic event, all the superheroes on Earth were gone, and what replaced them was this seemingly new team of superheroes. But the twist of it was that the superheroes were actually supervillains in disguise. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was written by Kurt Busiek, drawn by Mark Bagley, uh, along with several other artists. And it lasted for a decently long time. Um, you know, uh, And even following Kurt Busiek's run, you had Fabian Nassiza write on it for uh, a really long time after that. And Mm -hmm. it was pretty much um, just, you know, straight down. You know, it was pretty much just superhero comics was what it was. Uh, But the thing about what uh, Warren Ellis and Mike Diodato Jr. did when they put on uh, the Thunderbolts was, first of all, there was a new status quo in the universe in that uh, this was over. This was happening during right after Civil War. It it was right after Civil War. It was kind of in the dark. Well, you're right. It it wasn't Dark Reign yet, but it was right after Civil War, and um, you know this was an era where uh, the superheroes were you know at each other's throats, and the government wanted to uh, have their have more control over superheroes as a whole. And one of the initiatives that they had was the Thunderbolts, and they recruited supervillains to act as super, as super cops, basically, and Warren Ellis really upped the drama by putting just real psychopaths on this team together, yeah. and the way he wrote it, you believed that this was a dysfunctional team.
1: You know, yeah, he it he basically turned the Thunderbolts into the Marvel version of the Suicide Squad.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because
1: up to this point, that's that's that wasn't what the Thunderbolts was about. It was about. It was a team of former villains who were striving for redemption yeah
0: exactly but and this, was
1: this yeah this team was just unrepentant villains yeah for the most fantastic. part like there, there was still uh, songbird was still on the team and and she was a classic Thunderbolt from the very beginning but yeah. they also put a lot of the the big name villains on on the team so they put bullseye on the team green goblin. They put uh, Venom on the team. So, you ha- you know, you had these, these bigger name villains who were on the team and they were just kept under control through nanites in their bloodstream that would uh, mess them up if they tried to disobey orders or fall off the grid or anything like that. Right. And the government just used them to try and hunt down unregistered superheroes. Yeah. Another one uh, that I thought of that I wanted to highlight was Supreme by Alan Moore. So this was a series that Rob Liefeld created back in the image days in the 90s, dude. Supreme was just a Superman knockoff. Yeah. Just one of those guys that was... pretty apparent. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty obvious ripoff. Yeah. He had a white and red costume and they gave him white hair. But... He had all of Superman's powers, and that's what he was supposed to be.
0: Exactly. He flew, yeah. He punched things real hard. He punched good.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's about all he did. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't even know if I ever had any of the old Supreme comics when I was a kid. Like, I I definitely knew who he was, but I don't know if I ever bought any of his comics.
0: Well, can I ask you this? Yeah. So, you know, when when uh, Rob Liefeld went over the image, like, I'm sure there's got to be some sort of pitch that he makes where he goes, this is my character and this is the thing that makes him special, right? So, do you know, do you happen to remember what it was about Supreme that made him special? Like, that was supposed to make him
1: different from Superman? No. I don't know if there was. I mean... The other thing is that technically he probably didn't have to pitch to anybody. He probably, because remember, they were just starting out on their own. So he was probably just like, he was the boss, you know? So he was like, I want to do a Superman story. So I'm just going to create a guy that's like Superman.
0: Well, but I, I meant even pitch, like, I don't, I didn't necessarily mean like pitch to like a higher up. I meant like when he was pitching it to, you know, the masses, when he was selling it to the masses. There had to be something that he put into it that was meant to be a hook. Aside.
1: Um, I feel like maybe with some research we could possibly find out if that was the case.
0: I mean, was he like an? Me personally,
1: fan? I'm more willing to believe that he just <laughs> thought it's my character. I'm drawing. I created the character, and that's enough of a draw, you know, to pull people in.
0: I believe that. I, you I, know I, what, I, yeah.
1: I, I, it was that era of comics, you know, where it's like, yeah. hey, this it. is my version of Superman. If you want to check it out, check it out.
0: Yeah. It's unabashed.
1: Yeah. I don't think there was anything creative or clever behind, uh, behind the idea.
0: Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. So but what- but here's the
1: thing. Alan Moore actually took over at some point. I think with around issue 40 or 41 or something like that, the great Alan Moore, you know, the the greatest comic book writer of all time (laughs) became the writer of Rob Liefeld's Supreme. (laughs) Supreme. (laughs) There's something ridiculous about that. But, dude, if you read those comics, those are some of the best Superman comics you'll ever read because Alan Moore decided to lean extremely hard into the fact that Supreme was a Superman knockoff. Yeah, And because Alan Moore at this point, had already vowed never to work for DC. This was his chance to do a Superman story. So he goes all in on the idea of Supreme as an analog, a direct analog for the Silver Age Superman. So you you get just an epic story of wonder and imagination by Alan Moore doing Superman. That's basically what Supreme is, and yeah, I don't really feel like I need to sell that. You know, I don't need to make a pitch to the audience. I all I gotta do is say, "You want to see Alan Moore's take on Superman? Check out his Supreme."
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, you've uh, like all the years that we've known each other, you've always, uh, you know, carried the banner for this comic, and I've always been interested ever since you told me about it. I, it's still definitely high on my list to check out, and I absolutely intend to uh, someday. It's just, it's just someday, man. But it's it's on my list. I, yeah.
1: The, the only thing about these comics is, I'm not sure how readily available they are because the there's some weird legal stuff, man. That that happened with the with extreme studios. So I'm not even sure if, uh, I don't think Rob Liefeld owns that stuff anymore. Mm. So they're, they're not in print, like the trades are no longer in print. Uh, so I, I, I don't know how you would get them unless you just found them secondhand or, or really, really worked hard diving deep into quarter bins or not quarter bins, uh, back issue bins. Yeah. Well, you know, every once in a while I see random issues in quarter bins at those sales we go to, but never enough for a full run.
0: How many issues is it?
1: Uh, I want to say at least around like 20 or 24 maybe.
0: Wow. That's yeah, a pretty substantial run from Alan Moore. The guy Yeah. Who, you know, he does great work, but unfortunately, just because of his relationship with comics, he uh he's always hobbled and not able to really someone's
1: always screwing the dude over man yeah,
0: exactly he he ends up leaving a lot of things before before he can finish which is
1: yeah well this one he finished so you can rest assured that you won't get uh blue balls or anything if you read it
0: well if you guys want if you guys really want us to you can message us and uh I can read it to you as as an episode in my nineteen twenties gangster voice. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never catch me,
2: supreme. <laughs> yeah.
1: I really hope somebody uh, messages us to request that.
2: <laughs>
0: I'm just gonna burn out.
1: <laughs> Were there any other? titles that you wanted to mention under this category albert
0: man uh geez uh i'm i'm looking at what we have here and uh the 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 one title that does jump out at me is peter parker spider-man by uh jenkins and mark buckingham yeah Uh, i don't really remember like who did they follow up it wasn't jms was it no they, they were
1: write- uh actually concurrent with jms because jms was writing amazing at the time right he was the one who got all the attention but i actually don't think his run is good yeah. uh, i think this paul jenkins run was like way better yeah but it doesn't get the uh attention
0: actually, the attention yeah 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 it's a i i don't think i read it in its entirety but from what i remember it was more stories that were like, I don't know how else to put it, but in short, they were just more character-driven stories. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. They were just more about, I, I guess, Peter Parker Spider-Man is a fitting title, because it was really about Peter Parker. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, the man, as, as opposed to, uh, the, you, you didn't get so many stories about, I mean, there were still definitely stories where he he fought whatever villains he had to fight, but then you had like these Calvin and Hobbes types of stories that were about him and uncle Ben. Yeah. Um, You know, having a snow day, there was a story about, you know, Spider-Man, you know, Spider-Man who's notoriously known for cracking jokes, decides to become a comedian or decides to try out being a comedian. Um, Stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Like that's about his run that jumped out to me. The, The one story that I do remember was, um, I don't remember if this story was in this run or the one of the following runs, but um, it was a story about Morbius, and it the on the on the face on the surface it seemed like it was a story about Morbius, but
1: oh, was that the was that the one with the Paolo Rivera painted art?
0: I believe so, and it was about yeah, it that was, was
1: uh, after they uh, <laughs> after he had to relaunch his run under the title The Spectacular Spider Man.
0: Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Well, but. Close enough, though. Close enough. And I still feel like it followed in the same spirit. But it was a story about um, this kid who has cerebral palsy who sits on a rooftop every day. And he's, you know, he has this debilitating disease and he's trapped in his own body. And, um, you know, one day he's sitting on this rooftop and he sees Spider-Man and Morbius, like, duke it out. And spider-man beats morbius but then he spends a couple of minutes to like entertain this kid you know yeah and it's a pretty touching touching story it's good stuff it's i i i recommend it you know i don't i don't remember who uh like was there someone on peter parker spider-man before paul jenkins like was he
1: uh yeah yeah uh it might have been howard mackie but i could be wrong
0: okay yeah well if it was howard yeah i
1: yeah i think it was howard mackie i think that was the one that howard mackie and uh john romita jr were were on
0: yeah then it was a pretty massive step up
1: (laughs) yeah howard mackie's spider-man was not good
0: howard mackie is more like howard wacky
2: (laughs) 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 (laughs)
1: We got to put that one in there with uh, Scott Jobdell.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: what about you, Drew? Any other ones, or?
1: Uh, to... well, the another one uh, I was thinking because it was Alan Moore um, was Wildcats when he uh, took over Wildcats by uh, which was originally created by Jim Lee. Mm. You know that that was a series that. That uh was typical early '90s Image comic. That was a ripoff of the X Men. You know, everybody was
0: uh everybody was yeah.
1: You could look at every single character in Wildcats and point Point to to who they (laughs) yeah. You could point to each one and be like, oh, this guy was the Gambit of the team. This guy was the Wolverine of the team because he's got claws. This guy's the Gambit because he's got a trench coat. This guy's uh Colossus because he's strong. (laughs) You know. But when Alan Moore did it, he he completely elevated it. He he changed the the concept of it to the point where, uh, well, the the original concept of of Wildcats was so it was it was super dorky, man. Because the cats in Wildcats was an acronym and it stood for covert action teams. <laughs> <laughs> so the Wildcats were these uh, they were the descendants of these aliens. So there are these two alien races, the Caribim and the, and the Damonites who have been at war for, you know, eons in outer space. And then, and then factions of both races landed on earth like thousands of years ago. And, and now in the present day, the descendants of the Caribim are uh, are the wildcats and, and they're trying to stop the Damonites. That was the basic premise of it. And what Alan Moore did was he took the team to, back to their homeworlds where they learned that the war between the Caribbean and the Daemonites had ended thousands and thousands of years ago. So everything that they've been doing has been pointless. They're just in this backwater called earth and nobody bothered to tell them that the war ended. (laughs) And when they finally go to their homeworld, they uh, see that things ain't as cracked up as they imagined it, you know? So it's it's, it's just about that. Um, They end up going back to earth because they can't stomach the... Their alien government and uh yeah, it's just it's it's Alan Moore. It's not his best work or anything, but I thought it was a good take on something that was pretty pointless, you know? Like he <laughs> <laughs> he, he Yeah, like he, he took something that was just a dumb rip off of the X Men and, and He gave it meaning. Yeah, he gave it meaning.
0: Yeah. I remember And, and uh
1: that- actually another one oh sorry, were you about to say something?
0: I was gonna, yeah. I was just mentioning that I remember. I think it was like some interview that uh Alan Moore had where he was talking about it, and one of the influences for the idea uh for his Wildcats was he he was talking about how he read news articles about how after World War II yeah they would occasionally find Japanese soldiers in in the jungles of uh I want to say like the Philippines or like you know one of the islands that they were. Yeah. They held as territories just out in the wilderness. They would find these soldiers. They just holdouts. Yeah, they were holdouts. And they would find them decades after the war had ended. Yeah. But apparently these guys were still in the jungles, like fighting their one-man war against, exactly. uh, against this force that wasn't even, that didn't even, that had already, they were essentially fighting a war that was no longer being fought.
1: Yeah, they never knew that the war ended and and even if they came across uh, flyers, they would just think it was propaganda.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, that, you know, that's a again, it's like you said, Wildcats as a whole, as a concept was a pretty meaningless and silly concept but he gave enough substance to it that I could care about it or I would Mm -hmm. care about it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Exactly. What were you going to say? Oh, I was gonna say uh, there was another example of a Rob Liefeld comic that ended up being uh, getting a, that ended up getting a fresh start. His concept of his character Glory, which was his version of Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I don't know, eight or ten years ago or something. I don't even know if it's been that long, but Joe Keatinge and Ross Campbell did a take on Glory that totally uplifted that.
0: Yeah, it was a pretty good. Like the the cool thing about it was it from what I remember again this was something that rolled out years after the series ended and they just picked up where the last numbering left off. Yeah. And I remember, yeah. thinking, Oh, that's kinda cool. I mean in in a in a universe where we're constantly getting new number ones to exactly. pick off where they left off is uh it's a neat little move and I thought that was really cool. Exactly. Um, it's been a while since I read it. And again, this is another example of something that I don't really remember too well. Like, except what I do remember is I walked away being very appreciative of what I had just read. So it's it's definitely something that I intend to revisit someday. In fact, I have all the issues, so I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out again at some point.
1: Yeah, that's something worth rereading. Yeah. Shall we move on to the next category?
0: You got it. So, the next one that we have is new creative teams that continued the style and the tone of the previous team. So that's pretty self-explanatory, I, I think. So.
1: Yeah, kind of related to the previous category because a lot of times these aren't necessarily renumbered series, like yeah. we mentioned earlier. Uh, that brubaker and lark following up bendis and malieve on daredevil is a good example of this
0: yeah that was probably the example that jumped out at me the most um like again this these were teams that were completely new teams but just tonally and stylistically they felt pretty in tune with what the previous team had done but um, I remember you asking me, like, whether we should include this as, you know, a new direction. And my answer was, uh, I do count these as new directions because...
1: As fresh starts.
0: Or as a fresh start because the uh, the publishers themselves were making a lot of uh, commotion about the fact that these new creative teams were on it, you know? That's true, so that's true. That in and of itself, uh, again... Maybe this isn't the story that gives us. Have you ever wondered what Daredevil, Daredevil would be like if he was a pizza delivery boy? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's not that story, but you know, uh, the fact that they have a new creative team on it uh, is enough uh, for me to count that as a fresh start. Mm-hmm. So, what are what are what do you have on your list, Drew? On our list.
1: So one thing that I want to talk about, and this is kind of this kind of harkens back to our first category uh you know the new number ones as well because it was a new number one but i i just threw it in under this category because i thought it was more fitting but runaways by rainbow rowell and chris anka basically the current ongoing runaway series that's happening right now um so for everybody listening if if you've heard our episode where we talked about runaways on our marvel top 25 That Runaways was the original Runaways created by Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Alphona. And after they finished, there were a couple of other creative teams that that did stories in Runaways, but none of them ever really lasted. And for a while, uh, there wasn't even a Runaways series for several years. Instead, you would just see some of the different kids on the team uh, be in different titles because marvel didn't know what to do with them so for so you would have like uh nico she would i think she was involved in some uh what was that that series avengers arena i think yeah, yeah. the one where uh it was like battle royale but with uh teenage heroes
2: yeah
0: exactly i mean that and, and, really then, sums it up.
1: and then you'd have a uh, victor mancha on uh avengers ai because he was uh an android yeah (laughs) yeah so like they they completely didn't know marvel completely didn't know what they were doing with runaways um even even the stuff that came right after uh bkv left like joss Whedon did did an arc on runaways and i thought it was all right but it wasn't anything like too spectacular and then i think terry moore had a run that wasn't anything too memorable either and yeah so it was just something that kind of like fell by the wayside
0: Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like Terry Moore's run might have been the run that ended the series proper. Uh, Because after that, I don't really remember much of anything. I I feel like there might have been, like, some... I want to say after that, there was, like, a Runaways-Young Avengers crossover. And that might have been it. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. So nothing really ever stuck, you know? Yeah. But... I, would, I can confidently say, uh, having read most of the Rainbow Rowell run, I think I've read the first uh, like five trades so far. This is a really worthy successor to the Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Alphona run. So if anyone out there has read the original Runaways and liked it, or if you watched the, the Hulu series and enjoyed the, the TV show, like definitely look up the Rainbow Roll runaways because this is some good stuff. It, it it takes it back to basics, man. It it's yeah. the original cast. And I would say that their the tone and, and the style of it is very much in line with how BKV and Adrian Alfona wrote and drew the series. Like the the kids talk like teenagers. They their adventures are the kind of adventures that BKV and Alfona would have them uh experience where it's like a lot of stuff about experiencing what it means to be in a in a family where you're not technically related to each other but the the care and the and the i guess even the bickering that you have with one another is reminiscent of how a family acts you know and that's kind of the thing that runaways is built uh-huh. on you know they don't have anybody else besides each other and they don't yeah like they're they ran away so their home is just wherever they are with each other and as long as they're with each other you know that's that's all they need mm. yeah it's definitely some good stuff man it's it's probably my favorite current marvel title i mean i don't know if it's my absolute number one favorite if i i don't really rank stuff like that but it, it's definitely a favorite title right now
2: nice
0: yeah i uh, i just read the first one uh just on your recommendation and yeah it, it really it really harkens back to the original feel of the original series you know it's just yeah uh, i mean their interactions with each other are pretty lighthearted, even though there's turmoil and drama bubbling beneath the surface overall
1: (laughs) yeah it's definitely full of wit and and humor but there's also real heart and emotion behind it too
0: yeah yeah so yeah something i want to check out more of maybe yeah maybe when i catch up on my reading (laughs) (laughs) uh following that up another comic that we have is uh jla by joe kelly and doug markey um. Yeah, you want to give us a spiel on it, uh, Drew?
1: Sure. So we, yeah, this is from the same volume, the same issue numbering as the Grant Morrison JLA we talked about it the earlier uh, in the episode. So that was actually that entire volume was really special because you went from Grant Morrison and Howard Porter to to Mark Wade, who had a long run. And then after Mark Wade, you got Joe Kelly and Doug Mankey.
2: Yeah.
1: And yeah, I mean Joe Kelly and Doug Mankey's run is probably my personal favorite JLA run. I, I mean, I, I I'm not saying that it's better than Morrison's JLA, but it's probably my favorite run, just personally, because it does most of what Morrison's run did in terms of establishing what makes the JLA special, like he didn't do anything so drastic with the team where they were unrecognizable, but he kept the same idea, the basic idea of, of the team being this pantheon of gods. But he also injected some of his own ideas to where he, 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 you know, he introduced uh different team members and, and characters that he added to to the cast, uh, but Doug Mankey's art was—it's just way better than Howard Porter's art.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. So, it, like, as a as a run, it's just way easier and more enjoyable to read. Yeah. But yeah, all, all their stories are are great, and and probably my favorite story that they did was uh, the one about the White Martian uh, overtaking martian manhunter and how the the team had to it was it was basically another story one of those stories where team fights an enemy that you have no idea realistically how they could beat this enemy because this was a guy that that uh had really powerful telepathy he had all the martian powers you know but he 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 yeah he was just it was just hard to to think how the team could could defeat him but somehow batman devises a way and yeah that that was a story where i was like man that that story shows every reason why the jla are awesome you know
0: yeah yeah man it's good stuff <clears throat> let's see is there anything else uh that you wanted to mention on the list
1: No, we can move on for the sake of time.
0: All right. So the next category that we're going to cover is the same writer uh, or creative team giving his own series or their own series a fresh start. So that, I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, the the first example that I was thinking of when, when we were discussing it was uh, Thor by Jason Aaron. So if I was going to be perfectly precise technically um the thor series that he did was several different books but
1: yeah they kept doing new number ones
0: they kept doing new number one so it started out thor god of thunder and then it became uh i think it changed to thor and then it became the mighty thor and then it went back to being uh just thor um and then (laughs) it ended by being called king thor so <laughs> <laughs> but you know what since jason aaron worked on all of it and like i i want i believe in my heart of hearts that it was part of all part of us you know oh yeah a, it was
1: absolutely the same run
0: yeah it was yeah there was no of, question yeah so um it's kind of cool to see you know him doing doing his original thor story which was kind of not kind of it it was basically your your standard Thor story um, that was about, you know, Thor Odinson, the, the Thor that we all know and love. And then for him to, like, make changes, pretty drastic changes in that, that veer Thor's story in different directions. Like, you know, I mean, I I, I don't know if he felt like he needed to give a, a fresh start, so to speak. So to speak, but it was just fun to see it get a fresh start. You know, just to see what different directions he could take the story in. And yeah, so at one point, uh, I, I hope this doesn't spoil it for anyone. But essentially, what happens to Thor is he becomes unworthy of Milnir and you know, the the the, the Mjolnir, the hammer uh, that that you know, that is such a big part of who he is and his, I guess, identity, you know, just, mm-hmm. kind of, just by rec, uh, just from recognition, you know, if you've seen the movies, you recognize that, that him and the Thor and the hammer are just, you know, part of a total package together. So for yeah, him, he so- loved that hammer. He loved that hammer. He needs that hammer.
1: (laughs) I can't live without her.
0: (laughs) I hate the sand. It's so coarse and rough (laughs) and it gets everywhere. uh you 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 go those of you listening you you think we're just going mad right now but (laughs) there's a there's a method to this
1: (laughs) (laughs) we're just calling hayden christensen as anakin skywalker (laughs) that's all it is
0: that's all it is so thor becomes unworthy of the hammer and as a result um there's a new thor and it's a woman and it's uh you know i don't want to give that away but so there I don't you know, think it's really a
1: secret anymore.
0: Okay. So Jane Foster becomes the new Thor and for a while the Thor books are still going and he's still around the Thor I forget what do they call him? It's is it Thor Odinson? Odinson, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's still part of the universe. He's not dead or anything, but the Thor title still goes on uh for the books, but uh, now we have two Thors, and the primary Thor that we focus on is Jane Foster.
1: Yeah,
0: is, it's it's a pretty ballsy move, you know, and
1: yeah, and pretty- it, that ended up being like one of the most emotional story arcs I've read in a superhero comic in a long time, too. Yeah, because because and- the thing with with Jane, what was going on with Jane was that she had cancer, and every time she used Mjolnir to turned into thor it would it would uh mess up the her chemotherapy and her treatments so essentially every time she became thor she was killing herself Mm. and and that was that was the uh
0: emotional crux
1: yeah yeah because you you knew that she couldn't keep on doing it but but uh it wasn't good for her personal health but but for but she also recognized, you know, being a hero. You can't just not be Thor when Thor is needed, you know? Yeah, and, and that's what, herself. yeah. And and that's what makes her worthy. Yeah. And and the whole run in general was, Aaron's whole run in general was about what it means to be worthy and this, this concept of worthiness. Yeah. And, and for him to, to not only, uh, begin a new direction by having a new main character, uh, he he managed to do that, but also used it. He used that to enhance the examination of that theme, which is a really impressive uh, storytelling trick in a superhero comic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like the, the the one elephant in the room that I feel like I have to address is this was in a period of time where Marvel was doing a lot of changes uh, to their characters, and they were getting a lot of flack from specific types of fans who were, <laughs> who were saying that this was all meant to pander um you know and they and they would write they would write off a lot of these comics uh without maybe uh, i would say without giving it a fair shake and i think the jane foster thor was just kind of lumped in there with these with all these other comics that they were just being just outright dismissive of because you know, because to them, Thor is real, and they're to change Thor and make her a woman. Woman Thor is not my Thor. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? If you just give it a chance and actually read it without, like, the filter of being a jerk, <laughs> then maybe maybe you can enjoy it.
2: Yeah, maybe. Totally.
0: But I don't know that. I don't know that for sure. So, uh, that's me giving people too much credit. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't. You got to be careful of that, man. You don't want to. You don't want to respect people's intellect too much. <laughs> They're just gonna let you down even harder.
0: They are. They are. Uh, what's next on our list, Drew?
1: Well, another thing where the same writer gave his own series a a fresh start was when Joe Casey was writing Wildcats. So, you know, a few minutes ago, I was talking about Alan Moore writing Wildcats. I'm going to say when Joe Casey started writing Wildcats, that's the best Wildcats has ever been. Um, so Joe Casey took over Wildcats when Wildcats was uh, in volume two in the I think it was either the really late 90s or very, very early 2000s. So it was actually Joe Casey and and Sean Phillips. Sean Phillips, who is so well-known now for all of his collaborations with Ed Brubaker. But even back then, he was an incredible artist. So I'm going to go backtrack a bit first and talk about Wildcats Volume 2 by Joe Casey and Sean Phillips because what happened in that run was that they got rid of all the useless uh, superhero trappings that Wildcats had been mired in. So even after Alan Moore uh, did his run pretty much a short time after that, whoever came after him, I've f- I already forgot who it was, but it, it basically became, it reverted, you know, it regressed back into being your typical superhero comic without really following up on what Alan Moore did. But what, when Joe Casey took over, he got rid of all the, all the, I guess the lame superhero stuff because, you know, Scott Jobdell was writing it at that point. <laughs> 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 he, he basically got rid of the characters that, that didn't interest him. He, he uh, made some pretty big changes to a couple of the characters, but the, the main story that he was focused on was telling a story about how this superhero team, now that they no longer had a purpose to be a superhero team together, they all just went their separate ways. So how do you tell a superhero comic about a team that isn't a team?
2: Right. Right.
1: So that, that was, that was the hook. It became this, this mature examination of what happens to all of these characters so you you would have some characters that really had a hard time letting go of what they were like like uh grifter and lady tron for example they they still think they're superheroes basically they're they're out there looking for trouble whereas somebody like spartan decided it was he had to be Responsible now that he had uh he was in charge of a corporation. So he he ended up, you know, he he didn't go out looking for people to punch. He was just taking care of his company and trying to be responsible. Then you had characters like Maul and Voodoo who basically just went into retirement. You know, they were just living the life, doing whatever they wanted. Maul would be doing his experiments. Voodoo just had a credit card and she was just going shopping and partying all day you know (laughs) yeah and 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 then it became this examination of of what it meant to to be uh living a life when all that you were living for in the past is suddenly gone and and how these characters had to adjust to a different type of life so that, that's that's one of my favorite runs actually. I'm, I'm hopeful that one of these days we can devote uh, an episode for a, a fuller uh, examination of that. but in terms of this category when he when Casey gave his own run a fresh start, it was rebooted as or not rebooted, but I guess re- revamped as Wildcats version 3.0. He had a different artist. The first artist was Dustin Nguyen Mm -hmm. instead of Sean Phillips. And the the new take on this Wildcats was most of the characters from the previous couple volumes of Wildcats, he just kind of like, you know, let them, he ended most of their stories at the end of volume two. Mm -hmm. And in version 3.0, he focused on mostly on Spartan and Grifter and a couple of other characters that he introduced when he wrote volume two. And this story became a series about the corporation as a superhero, which is completely different from, I think, every other superhero comic I've ever read. Like I can't think of any other superhero comic that is comparable to this because Casey's idea was that now that Spartan or as he prefers to be called Jack Marlowe is in charge of this uh, corporation, what what he ends up doing, what, what Marlowe ends up doing is he's trying to use this corporation to actually make the world a better place. So, it, like, I think the whole time as you're reading it, it, it you keep thinking, when is the other shoe going to drop? When is it going to be, when is it going to sh- turn into one of those things where this corporation that's trying to do all this good ends up becoming, you know, evil or doing something that, that uh, you know, that, like all corporations are. Out for money and the profit becomes the main thing and, and that ends up becoming you know all, all his good intentions are for nothing because at the end of the day he's just trying to gouge people for money and I don't think the story ended up being about that because it seemed like the story was genuinely trying to do something different like unexpected where the the, the plot of it was Jack Marlowe's company tapped into this extra-dimensional power source so they could develop batteries with unlimited energy. And that was how he was going to change the world.
0: That's, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty crazy idea because it's the type of thing that, if you sold that idea to someone, you know, if you pitched it, Mm -hmm. it's the type of thing that some. Like, whoever your benefactors are would have to be extremely generous and extremely willing to uh, experiment with that, you know? Yeah. But, um, on the face of it, uh, it, it's a hard sell, gotta say, you know? but Yeah, you
1: know, totally.
0: Especially for something like comic books that, by and large, are geared towards uh a very particular kind of fan who likes you know action you know uh yeah not, not to say that it wasn't a comic that didn't still have action but you know uh it's just hard to to sell someone on the idea that well sometimes in real life you can't punch your problems away
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and, and i thought that was one of the th- really great things about that series too is because the character grifter he was kind of the voice of that aspect of fandom you know where he he was he was the 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 cool guy on the team on on the wildcats team who had the trench coat and the guns and he was always good at everything he did uh, just like gambit or somebody you know but in version 3.0 one of the first things that joe casey does to to grifter is show that yeah, he's still he's still a badass, you know, like he's still this guy that can shoot up a bunch of bad guys with without breaking a sweat, a perfect marksman. Like a, you know, exactly what you imagine when you imagine a gun-toting superhero. And right off the bat, he shows you how good Grifter is at that. And then like in the next issue, Grifter gets shot up and he's put in a wheelchair for the rest of the series, <laughs> so he can't go out there and do what he always wants to do, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: And, and it and like his character arc is about him trying to come to terms with this new world he's living in, and what you see is that he doesn't come to terms with it at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like he he's still working with Jack Marlowe, but Marlowe's moved on from fisticuffs and and trying to solve problems with violence, whereas Grifter you throughout the entire story he's constantly trying to solve problems with violence to the point where he creates more problems with the violence he does
0: (laughs) yeah it it sounds almost comical
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's definitely there's definitely uh like humor in it and it's it's also a commentary i think on on the audience and and expectations the the one thing that i'm that was disappointing about the run was that it ended up getting canceled due to low sales. So technically Joe Casey never actually finished the entire story. I remember he said he was like, it got canceled with issue 24. And I believe he said that he had planned uh, 48 issues. So he only got half of the story. Yeah. And it, it was one of those series at the time, man, uh, it got critical acclaim, but it was just always a low seller, which is super unfortunate. Did it, did Another it. thing, man, that that reminds me that people are useless and humanity <laughs> is a waste. Because <laughs> if they're not going to buy good comics, what's the point of them, man? Why do they exist?
0: Like, they're just going to... If you exist just so that they can pump out more the Batman Who Laughs... then you did nothing for me
1: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly
0: (laughs) i was gonna ask did they did joe casey ever mention if he um you know if if he ever like had any sort of conclusions for it like any ideas for oh yeah
1: like like he 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 had he planned it as a 48 chapter novel basically
0: no, but I mean like did he, you know, have you ever read any interviews where he goes into details about like what he would have done?
1: No, he he uh, from what I remember he he doesn't want to talk about what he would have done. Oh, okay. Cuz I don't think he uh he's not he I don't think know, he has any hope know. of like ever going back to it or anything, but it's just one of those things where as an artist, I don't think he wants to talk about the the ideas that haven't come to fruition cuz who knows, maybe he We'll recycle those ideas or use them in the future
0: that's true or you know this this was a series that came out a while ago so for all we know he's already recycled
1: those ideas maybe yeah
0: all right well um want to move to the next category
1: yeah yeah we have line wide fresh starts now so yeah line wide uh you know, just when Marvel or DC or somebody wants to do a fresh start for their entire publishing line.
0: Yep. And the first thing that I thought of when we were talking about this was Hero's Return. So the thing about it was Hero's Return was a line-wide uh, fresh start in response to another fresh start that had happened previously which was Heroes Reborn. So, uh, you know, Marvel in the 90s was going through a rough patch, and they decided uh, that they would take their uh, main properties, uh, like some of their bigger name properties, which included the Fantastic Four, The Avengers, Captain America, and Iron Man, and they would essentially kill them off in our main universe or, you know, make them disappear, and they would start a new universe with them called the Heroes Reborn universe, which was where they took, where they took basically the the creative rock stars of the day, and they allowed them to work on these books. So you had Jim Lee on Fantastic Four, you had Rob Liefeld on Captain America, and uh, I want to say he did the Avengers, and I believe Will Portacio was on Iron Man. So the idea was, oh, these, the, you know, these artists are the hot thing at the time, and we're gonna like put them on these books that are kind of our flagship titles. So that's that's got to be good for us, right? And again, well, not
1: technically. Flag- again, they weren't really flagship titles, right? They were the titles that they wanted to be flagship titles. Exactly.
0: exactly. Uh, I didn't mean again. I didn't mean flagship in the sense that they were like leading the, you know. Uh, They were leading in sales or anything but i just meant flagship in the sense that you know in the universe these were their a-list characters uh or their a-list teams
1: right like like the random citizen in the background of a marvel comic they would they would think of the fantastic four and the avengers as the top heroes right exactly but in in real life nobody thought of the fantastic four or the avengers (laughs) people just like (laughs) x-men
0: right (laughs) yeah x-men and spider-man that like as far as they were concerned that was the marvel universe and wolverine yeah exactly (laughs) but um yeah but uh you know they did this re uh this um this reboot or whatever you want to call it uh with heroes reborn and it was a pretty massive failure from what i remember (laughs) um so,
1: yeah, I think it was like the the stuff that Rob Liefeld did. I don't think he really finished it.
0: Yeah, like I don't know what the numbers are, but like I know critically that most people look at this era and it's it's pretty it's something that's been panned and people kind of make fun of.
1: Well, sophisticated people make fun of it.
0: Yeah, that's
1: true. I think there are still people that actually buy era. The Heroes, Return, um, Heroes Reborn Omnibus.
0: Don't spend your money on The Heroes Reborn Omnibus. Spend your money on Marvel's Now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a joke, but I'm also kind of serious. I would rather you spend your money on Marvel's Now
2: than
1: the Heroes I, The Atlantis, <laughs> Attacks Omnibus.
0: Acts <laughs> of Vengeance is what yeah. you're about. <laughs>
1: Anything would be better than Heroes Reborn.
0: The thing of it was that yeah, like I wanna it it, I I feel like it wasn't even considered a failure in hindsight. I feel like it was considered a failure at the time, you know? Yeah, it was a mess. Yeah, so um when they did the heroes return, it was this back to basics approach. They reintroduced these characters back into the mainstream Marvel universe and you had the Avengers with uh, Kurt Busiek and George Perez, uh, and <clears throat> and uh, I believe Kurt Busiek was on Iron Man when they brought it back. Yeah, and uh, I think so. Uh, what were the? Mark
1: ideas? Wade on Captain America.
0: Mark Wade on Captain America, and Chris Claremont was on Fantastic Four, which was probably the the one downside. But I think overall, as a whole, the don't idea forget
1: is- uh, your boy Dan Jurgens on Thor.
0: Dan Danny J on Thor <laughs> <laughs> you're right, oh man, man, I you probably... wanted
1: to forget that, didn't you
0: I did I, did. I forgot that
2: that was the <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but you know what at the time, I think it was um, it was good for Thor at the time, like i, I think...
1: yeah, I mean, it was still better than Tom Defalco,
0: yeah. And I'd even go so far as to say that I think that Thor was probably still better than the Claremont Fantastic Four.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Yeah. But you know what? Overall, I'd say uh, this was still a pretty good line-wide fresh start because it just brought things back to basics. You know, it took yeah. all the messiness of uh, the pocket universe and you know all this stuff that happened. And it just said, you know what? We're going to do away with all that. We're going to bring them back into the fold, into the main Marvel universe. And we're just going to tell good old-fashioned superhero stories again.
1: And the art was better. And the art was, yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) I'd I'd say so.
1: You're not even a George Perez fan, but I'm pretty sure you'd take George Perez over Rob Liefeld.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll take George Perez over Rob Liefeld. I'll take John Romita Jr. over them. Um... Uh, who I think Sean other... Chen was drawing Iron Man. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, who was on the Fantastic Four? I right? want to say
1: Salvador La Roca, hmm. But I could be wrong.
0: Yeah. It was still probably better than Rob Liefeld or Will's Potashio.
1: Yeah, I think Jim Lee drew Fantastic Four.
0: He drew Fantastic Four. Um, yeah. So, as it's it's a weird uh, fresh start because it's, you know... a. It's a change back to a status quo. But at this yeah. time, it's a good, fresh start, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the The next one, the next uh, line-wide fresh start that we thought of was Valiant 2012. What do you got for us there, Drew?
1: So the Valiant universe uh, was restarted back in 2012. Uh, For those of you who haven't been into comics as long, uh, maybe you you might not remember the original Valiant comics from the 90s. But back in the 90s, Valiant started up uh, maybe around the time that Image started. I can't remember the exact timeline there, but they had uh, characters like Bloodshot. You might recognize the name Bloodshot because he had a movie that came out like right when the pandemic started, yeah. so I don't think the movie did too well. But uh, Vin Diesel was—he played Bloodshot. Yeah. Uh, some of their other big titles from the '90s included Exo-Mana War, Harbinger. They had a, a, a crossover called Unity. Um, they also brought back some of the some older characters like. Turok and Solar Man of the Atom. I think those were '60s characters that they got the rights, the rights and the license to to publish comics about. Yeah, I think uh, yeah,
0: characters originally,
2: right? Yeah, I
1: forget. I forget who owned them originally. I don't remember. But they they did their own takes on those guys in the '90s, and then towards the the later, the mid or late '90s, when the comics industry was imploding. Uh, valiant started to go downhill and i think the video game publisher acclaim actually bought them and at that point the quality of their stories started dropping a lot too and eventually uh acclaim went bankrupt went out of business uh and i don't even know what happened to valiant they just you know they they stopped publishing comics for for years and years and then at some point in in the early 2010s uh i think some investors bought up all the rights to the valiant properties at least the ones that were created in the 90s so they, they didn't have solar they didn't have Turok, but they did have bloodshot and harbinger and Exo manowar um was there any is there anything else that i'm forgetting those are the big ones right um
0: i was i, I was gonna say Ninjack, but oh yeah
1: Ninjack. Um, Eternal Warrior, does that? Count? Oh yeah, Eternal Warrior, yeah. Um, Shadow Man,
0: what was that one? Archer and Armstrong. Um, Archer and
1: Armstrong, that's right. Yeah, like they, have, they have, There's a good amount of Valiant characters and properties. So, so these investors bought up uh, all of those properties, and they relaunched the Valiant universe in 2012, starting with Exo Manowar. So there, there, that entire line. Uh, was a fresh start because it it didn't have anything it it didn't follow the continuity of the old 90s comics it was a literal uh, new beginning you know so anybody could just join in and and follow along
0: i was gonna say the yeah like uh to your question earlier in terms of remakes like this this feels like an example of a remake to me Mm -hmm. but yeah uh yeah like i I mean, it's granted, it's a line-wide remake, so that you could
1: call it a reboot.
2: Okay,
0: yeah, it's it's they they had a bunch of good writers on it, and um, you know, uh, they they brought new vigor to these properties. Uh, I like. I have to admit that when when I was a kid, uh, these Valiant comics. They were they were a pretty hefty competitor with Image, even though like I hadn't bought them. But at the time, like the rising stars were Valiant and Image, and you know people were talking about them as you know fighting for like the third or fourth spots. Um, yeah, they were
1: selling pretty well back in the day, back in yeah. back their height.
0: Yeah, and ultimately Valiant ended up uh, ended up not winning that fight. Um, they ended up dying. Yeah, like what was that thing that they made, Deathmate?
1: <laughs> yeah, Deathmate was, was their crossover with Image Comics. I remember that.
0: Yeah, you know what? If I ever find those in the core bins, I might buy those just to check them out because I got like I I just knew that it was a crossover between Image and Valiant, but I got I know nothing else outside of that.
1: Dang, I, my bad, dude. I used to have those comics. I think I ended up getting rid of them.
0: Yeah, you were probably wise to to do that like i i'm not under the uh illusion that they are good comics but i'm just saying like i i remember there was a period of time where we would find Deathmate all the time though
1: yeah yeah i mean it's not it's nostalgic i'll say that okay it was nostalgic but because that was another that was something i liked when i was a kid too right. but i will say that uh deathmate contributed to the There's- damage then to the comics industry in the 90s yeah because because of the image issues the the, Im- the issues that were published by valiant were fine they were all on time but some of the image issues i forget which color or which issue it was but what i remember at least one if not two of the issues were were extremely extremely late like i'm talking like months yeah months late so a bunch of stores had ordered tons of copies of this you know so they they already put up all this money and they weren't able to uh get the comic because it was late yeah (laughs) and it ended up
0: and people lost interest
1: yeah it, it well a lot of stores ended up losing money on it dang and it, I think it was enough to actually kill a lot of stores.
0: I believe that. I believe that. Because that was the
1: era, man. That was the the speculation era. Yeah. And and like, I mean, maybe it wasn't. Certainly wasn't the only factor, but that was a big contributing factor to doing damage to the industry. Mm. The the funny thing is is that those old Valiant comics from the '90s, they they kind of pitched themselves opposite way from the image comics because image was all about the artists yeah. like nobody cared who the heck was writing spawn or savage dragon or anything because it was all about the art and like yeah that that was the only reason people were buying those comics but with the uh, with valiant they were trying to sell <laughs> stories you know like they were tr- i remember like all the marketing was centered around if not necessarily the writing teams at least it was more centered around telling stories
0: mm-hmm. yeah but yeah but that it, it was i i didn't collect valiant at the time and but it oddly enough it still played a pretty big role in my in my memories uh just just as this this thing that existed in my past and When they came back out in Valiant 2012, like, I, you know, I got my hands on whatever I could, uh, you know, whether it be through quarter bins or through uh, the library. And, you know, having, having a chance to reread these with, you know, fresh new eyes and this fresh new modern perspective, it was, it's fun stuff, man. I can say that, like, a bunch of their stuff is just it's entertaining as heck it's 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 up there with some of the best superhero stuff at the time you know oh yeah
1: totally a lot of the valiant stuff man it's it's way better superhero comics than a lot of the contemporary marvel and dc comics
0: yeah yeah like i highly recommend it for those of you who are willing to take a chance on uh, if you just have love for superhero comics, and
2: um, you know, yeah,
1: like work. if if you're tired of your your typical Marvel or DC stuff, you want something different. Yeah, expose your crazy. expose yourself to some good superhero stuff. Totally, totally. Like I, I would definitely say uh, the 2012 incarnation of Harbinger is excellent. Mm. Like that that's kind of a like the I guess the basic concept of harbinger is that in the in their universe they're these super super powered beings or metahumans but they're they call them psyots in 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 valiant so there are these psyots that when you when they have their powers awakened they're basically like mutants in the x-men world yeah and and there's a, a guy named toyo harada who runs a A conglomerate that basically seeks out all of these young children who have these powers and he tries to awaken their powers for his own purposes essentially he, he himself views himself as a guy who's trying to make the world a better place and and help the world take that next step in in human evolution and then it's it's about him his quest to do that but he's countered by a couple of younger Syats who were in his foundation who end up rebelling against him. Because mm. So like Harada's company is called the Harbinger Foundation and the characters that are against him are called the Renegades and it, it becomes a conflict of these like, you know, a small group of upstart young people who are fighting against the man, you know, <laughs> literally the man. <laughs>
0: right
2: right
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i like that run a lot man and the some of the other stuff that they've done with uh with bloodshot has been really good yeah uh, right. the crossovers are all really good man their events are, are excellent like okay. any of their events would be a good jumping on point like check out the valiant by jeff lemire and matt kent and uh paula rivera that, that's some really good stuff yeah
0: uh, there's also uh, Book of Death by Robert Vendetti.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, Robert Vendetti also did a run on the uh, the Eternal Warrior called Wrath of the Eternal Warrior. I would highly recommend that one. That was another yeah. great run. Like a, it's like twelve issues, I think. Yeah. There and, was Rye by Matt Kent and Clayton Crane. If you like cyberpunk.
2: Yeah,
0: and Clayton Crane was you know a hot artist for like a minute just because of uh the stuff he did for ghost rider and like he sort of disappeared after that like i think he only did covers or something then yeah come out and do rye like this ongoing um series that was pretty cool
1: yeah totally yeah i know zach's a big fan of that
0: yeah i mean uh the the other book that i would mention and this is a little different i mean it, it veers a little bit away from our um fresh starts because uh it was the it's it's a property that was completely new that they created just for in valiant 2012 so it's not a fresh start for anything technically but um divinity by matt Kent. oh and, yeah uh, trevor hairstein like it's a series of miniseries and it's just a great uh addition to the universe um yeah I highly recommend that series
1: yeah that's that's some really good superhero stuff yep like it's it's really that divinity run is a a fresh take on on what it would be like if there were a superhero superhero. who had yeah who had those high level powers
0: yeah
2: nice nice nice
1: so
0: now we get to our uh this is the part where we gorge ourselves. But <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get to rotten starts. <laughs> These are not good starts at all. Not fresh starts. They're quite the opposite. <laughs>
1: yeah, they make you wretch.
0: They do. They do. So the first title on our list is Flash Rebirth. So this is something that gets a lot of love. And a lot of accolades from, um, from, I guess, the general comics fans, masses, the masses of comic fans. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a story that I want to say, through Geoff John's sheer force of will, that they've put into, that they've made, they ended up making into straight to DVD animations, they put it into the TV show, uh, yeah, they mined this uh, this story for ideas. Uh, there was even talks that they were going to put elements of it into the movies when, you know, when the movies were going strong. Uh, the, the Zack Snyder, uh, <laughs> Zack Snyder DC movies. Like, we even saw elements of it when in the Justice League movie or, yeah, the Justice League movie where, you know, Uh, Ben Affleck Bruce Wayne sees a vision of the Flash from the future but Mm -hmm. Flash Rebirth is essentially the story of and I think I told this story in one of our previous podcasts but but in brief Barry Allen decides to run so fast that he can go back in time and prevent the death of his mother but as a result he ends up messing up the universe and it's a story about him setting the universe right but even at the end of uh, undoing the stuff that he messed up, the universe doesn't come back fully right anyways, and it kickstarts the uh, new 52. Was it the new 52 era? Oh, yeah, 52.
1: at the end of Flashpoint.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: uh, yeah. Uh, I forget how much time actually. Between...
0: My bad. Flash Rebirth is the Flash coming back. From uh, sorry it's late so I, I, I lost my train of thought but no my bad Flash Rebirth was the Flash the classic Flash Barry Allen coming back from the dead that's really uh, how much time
1: had elapsed between Flash Rebirth and Flashpoint
0: I think a couple of years
1: okay yeah. so like Flashpoint was, was like the the dingleberry on top of the pile of poop that Flash Rebirth was?
2: <laughs> uh,
0: Flash Rebirth opened the door to bringing back Barry Allen as the Flash, and I think there were plot elements in Flash Rebirth that eventually led to Flashpoint. Okay. Um. Yeah, I get those two mixed up because they, they're both like Geoff John's Flash stories, but really I get them mixed up because they're both just think this book suck (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i think the thing about it that i find most insulting is that it's just jeff johns continuing his um pattern of uh bringing back the characters he likes uh and completely getting rid of the characters that that have been established for some time now right yeah it's kind of like what would happen if you gave the keys to the kingdom to a fanboy
1: (laughs) pretty much yeah he just wanted to bring back the characters that he grew up with
0: yeah so he came up with a story for barry allen who had been dead for i want to say like 20 years up, up to that point if not more yeah yeah he died like barry allen dies in uh in crisis on infinite earths and I think we had all, like, as a whole, come, like, made peace with the fact that, okay, Barry Allen's one of the ones that stays dead. And then, out of the blue, uh, Jeff Johns wants to tell this story where he brings brings the flashback to life. And we've just been kind of stuck with him ever since.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the perplexing thing is that Johns himself was the one who helped make Wally West cool you know like he had a good run on wally west
0: yeah now that you mention it that is that is pretty vexing (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of insulting right for him to put all this work and like his run on wally on the wally west flash is is a pretty it's a it's a high point right and yeah
1: absolutely it's 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 not just a high point for the flash but it's a high point for jeff john's life
0: (laughs) And I do include his children in that. He has kids? I don't know if he has kids, but I'm assuming if he had children, I would include them in that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would rather he wrote more comics like The Flash, the original Flash run starring Wally West. I would rather he do more comics like that than have more kids.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> what can I say? I'm selfish like that.
0: <laughs> what have his kids ever done for me? Nothing. Nothing.
1: i remember trying to read flash rebirth i think i borrowed the hardcover from the library yeah possible i might have borrowed your copy i borrowed it from from the library
0: i borrowed it from the library library and then i i gave it to you i think
1: yeah so i I borrowed the library's copy that you checked out yeah and i remember I read the first issue in the hardcover and it was just so bad. I didn't even bother finishing the rest of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It
1: like, it was just one of those comics man where where it it truly felt like some guy who was so wrapped up in continuity and over explaining things that didn't need explanations just went nuts on all of his worst vices.
0: Yeah. It's just yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, like, okay, so I'm going to move on to the next one because it ties directly into this, and I, I think I have, I definitely have more of a vivid memory of this one. Um, but in terms of Rotten Starts, the next one on our list is Green Lantern Rebirth. And this, this happens before, uh, Flash Rebirth, and I remember this because I actually ended up buying a couple of issues of it because they were talking about oh um so at this point in our his in in the in the history of the green lanterns um basically hal jordan as a green lantern had uh he he made some mistakes and as a result of some decisions that he made uh he wasn't there to protect his hometown when it was destroyed. He goes as a result of the guilt, he goes crazy and he ends up uh, essentially killing all the other green lanterns and um, becoming a villain. But ultimately Mm -hmm. he ends up sacrificing himself as an act of uh, repentance uh, to, to save the world. So at this point in comics history, Kyle Rayner is the current Green Lantern and he's, he's the last of his kind. He's the last one to bear the ring. And it's been this way for some time. And I remember at, at this point in comics, they were making a big deal because they were like, Oh, we're going to find a way to, uh, this is going to be the story that brings Hal Jordan back. And, you know, at this point in time, Jeff Johns had a lot of goodwill from me because he had written The Flash. He had written The Justice Society of America. He had written Avengers. So I was like, okay.
1: Teen Titans.
0: Teen Titans. I want to see this, right? I want to see what he can do. And in my mind, I was like, there's no way. I, I hope, against all hopes, he doesn't do something as silly as, or as simple as, oh, like essentially, I just didn't want him to just will them back into existence and i remember buying the first three or four issues and i remember thinking that's basically what he's gonna do is he's just gonna he's gonna use the power <laughs> of the green lantern to rebuild the city repopulate the city bring people back and i was just like that's a uh, pretty lame
1: yeah <laughs> yep
0: uh, that that was like the first crack in my Geoff Johns uh appreciation, um. But that like Green Lantern Rebirth was the first story, the first, yeah, it was the first series that I stopped buying halfway through.
1: Oh yeah, that's pretty significant.
0: Yeah, because I bought the three issues and I just quit after that. I was like, this is uh. This is dumb.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So for, for all of you listeners out there to fully grasp the significance of that, Albert is a guy that he has a lot of willpower, man. Like he is the kind of guy who will, who will watch an entire TV series, even if he doesn't like it, just because he's watched the first episode, he has to complete it, you know, to see it through. So to, to hear that he actually quit buying a miniseries in the middle of the story that tells you something about how bad it is and how much disdain he truly has for that comic
0: what are what do you have any uh memories or thoughts of green lantern rebirth i I forget did you i i imagine that you read it in its entirety
1: yeah yeah i i didn't buy it because i think uh either my old roommate or maybe it was uh maybe it was shanis one of those guys was buying it when we were in college so i was just bumming off their copies reading reading it when they got it yeah you know at the, at the time i was i didn't feel as strongly as you did
2: mm-hmm.
1: i i would say that i was disappointed that they were uh they were basically shunting cal Rayner to the side man yeah and uh it was just one of those things where, after all these years of of uh, having Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern and having all these great JLA stories with him, you know, as as silly as it sounds, he was my Green Lantern. You know, like yeah. I honestly didn't really care about Hal Jordan. He was just he's like I I knew who he was. Um, I knew the history and stuff. I remember reading the story where he he lost his mind and killed everybody. I remember reading, uh, what was it? The, what was the final night Yeah. where he, uh, redeems himself basically and and ends up becoming the specter and I was fine with him becoming the new yeah. specter,
2: yeah.
1: but the, the fact that, uh, they, they basically got rid of Kyle Rayner that that kind of irked me. Um, but I guess I didn't really feel too strongly about about the story until years later. Yeah. Like I, I didn't read, I didn't buy the Green Lantern ongoing series that came out after this. I read the first couple of trades just to to follow along and because I was curious. But I think as it as it got longer, as I read more and more of it, I lost my interest in it, and I started. That was when I started losing more respect for Jeff Johns because I just wasn't into his ideas I wasn't into I started seeing a lot more of the flaws and, and weaknesses in his stories yeah. as opposed to just being able to overlook them for the enjoyment you know yeah. so by by the time I revisited Green Lantern rebirth I think I had already met you by then yeah. and and you helped uh, turn <laughs> me against it <laughs>
0: Well, uh, there was one other thing, one other vivid memory that I had of uh, Green Lantern Rebirth, which was, I think, one of the biggest things about it that turned me off on it, or, like, one of the biggest uh, examples of, like, fanboydom that I can point to in it was, as I was reading it, one of the revelations of it yeah it, it, this was the thing that irked me the most was one of the revelations in it was that um so when hal jordan as green lantern goes crazy and kills everyone he becomes an entirely new uh he takes on an entirely new name he becomes this character parallax mm-hmm. and um you know the thing about it is you know H- hal jordan as parallax he does what he does he he kills the entire green Lantern core. He, uh, you know, he commits the crimes that he commits. So I'm like, okay, fine. That's they. If they bring Hal Jordan back, that's fine. Like they bring him back, whatever, right? That's that's yeah. comic. But I remember reading it, and one of the revelations in the comic was Parallax wasn't actually Hal Jordan. It was a parasite an energy parasite of some sort that embedded itself in the psyche of Hal Jordan.
1: Yeah. I, I remember that. Him, that was a cop out.
0: It made him do these things, you know? So, uh, you know, so the idea that Hal Jordan wasn't responsible for his um, behaviors, like that was a, that was a massive cop out. And I wasn't into that idea because one, if they had brought Hal Jordan back and he had to live with this stuff, that would have been more interesting to me. I would have been like, okay, like I I can I can follow along with that story. But the thing about it that's fanboyish is for them for him to go, Well, I want to bring Hal Jordan back, but I wanna make sure that he's as perfect as I remember him, and how do I make he's it sure
2: Yeah,
0: he's as pure as as I believe him to be, and how do I make him be that pure and just erase all this stuff and it's just yeah it's just such fanboy it's just such a fanboy thing to do you know it's just
1: yeah it, it's awfully convenient and yeah. a little bit lazy you know it, it, yeah, totally. he could have done a story where like you said Hal would have to live with his conscience knowing that he did all these horrible he was basically yeah. space hitler
0: yeah
2: yeah <laughs> you know like, yeah. imagine
1: if jeff johns had the had the you know i'm not gonna say courage but imagine if he had the the Stone. mental fortitude to, yeah. to tell a story about space hitler working for his own redemption <laughs> you know
0: that, but that's the thing that would have been more interesting right for a second yeah. i thought you were gonna say Imagine if Hitler came back and it turns out that he wasn't really this mass genocidal dictator, but he was possessed by a ghost that made him do these things.
1: Like yeah, it'd be pretty ridiculous. I, I wouldn't be able to take that seriously. <laughs> but and, and that's exactly what, what Jeff Johns does with yeah. Hal Jordan, and that's and why I, I can't take it seriously.
0: Yeah, and I never understood why people were like just so nonchalant about that it's just like you accept like i i get it it's just comics and you know people are gonna write whatever they're gonna write but like really none of you think this is stupid
1: (laughs) (laughs) apparently there are a lot more hal jordan fans out there than we ever thought
0: yeah well i remember that when uh kyle rayner became the green lantern they even like in the early days of the internet they started a a group on, like, message boards or forums talking about the true Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. Yeah. The, yeah. I think it was called Heat or something like that. Hal's Elite Action Team or something. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, I wonder if there's a way to find out if Geoff Johns was part of that group. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me
1: if he was. Yeah. There's just yeah. something about re. Green lantern rebirth where when you read it you just know that the dude cares too much about continuity and he's trying to go he's trying so hard to explain every single thing yeah. when the the simple thing would have just been to have hal have to live with what he yeah. did yeah. but when john decided he wanted hal to be completely pure and innocent of his crimes he had to come up with some convoluted stuff and reasoning in order to explain why. And then he added on top of that yeah. additional stuff to to like build the foundation for his ongoing series and the mythos of the Green Lantern with the emotional spectrum.
0: Yeah. Which is in and of itself just it's a childish idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's there's it it was a rotten start for a rotten run, but rotten I think era. I think we're in the minority here. I think a lot of people do have love for yeah. that run.
0: Like I often hear people talk about the the Green Lantern uh, emotional spectrum run, uh, where they t- and the the thing that I always hear is I feel like they're really into the idea of having all these factions and uh, all this intrigue. Uh, you know because is it
1: intriguing I never knew it was intriguing
0: uh, I'm sure to them it's intriguing <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know they there the, the one comparison I remember is someone was talking about it like it was Game of Thrones where you have Ugh. all these different party where you have all these different groups vying for uh alliances and betrayals and stuff like that and I'm just I, I I'm not I'm not I'm not sold on that idea. I don't believe that uh, whatever Johns wrote in that era with the emotional spectrum of, green lan- of, of Lantern ring bearers is anywhere near the equivalent of something like that.
1: So you don't think that his run on Green Lantern is Game of Thrones meets Star Trek?
0: <laughs> I'm sure that the kind of people who would be sold w- with that description would enjoy that comic very, very much. (laughs) Uh, Oh
1: man. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Jeff Johns and I don't even want to say the name of the artist, but yeah, yeah, those are some trash comics.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, man. Are there any other non-starts you want to talk about?
0: Uh oh! Well, oddly enough, I'm looking at this list. We mentioned Heroes Reborn, so we we talked about that. That was a rotten start. We um,
2: yeah, had I
1: a whole you, episode devoted to the New Fifty Two.
0: had a whole yeah. So there's no need to talk about that. But it's definitely on our list. Superior Spider-Man. I'll give I'll give a, a brief shout out to that. Um,
1: oh yeah yeah. Full
0: disclosure, full disclosure: I haven't read it but um, this was during Dan Slott's era on Spider-Man and he, he wrote it for a long time like 10 years I think
1: something like that
0: yeah like he wrote a lot of Spider-Man comics and um, there was a period while he was writing Spider-Man where just to change things up he wrote uh, he wrote a story where Dr. Octopus finds a way to switch minds with spider-man and once he's in the body of peter parker slash spider-man he decides that he's going to take it upon himself to prove that otto octavius in the body of spider-man will be a better spider-man than peter parker ever was and that's basically you know the the conceit of the superior spider-man era and again full disclosure i haven't read it but it just Maybe it just shows how close-minded I am that I can't buy into the idea of mind-swapping as one of the major devices for the story, but I can't, man. I can't. It,
1: <laughs> it, it works if it's a comedy, but he was trying to tell a serious story.
0: He was trying to tell a serious story with drama and uh, pathos. and uh, Yeah. It Nah.
1: <laughs> And from what I remember, I think uh, Humberto Ramos drew that run. Or did he? I, I don't even remember. Did, I, I, I want to say he, I think he did. I could be wrong. But anyway, the, for something that was striving for pathos, the, the art certainly didn't uh, contribute to, to that. Like that, that art, it wasn't good art either. Yeah. I don't remember if it was Ramos or not, but... It didn't look good. The, the basic premise was too silly to take seriously. Yeah. And I I didn't read the entire thing either. I did read the beginning and I read the ending.
0: Where'd you would you get a hold of those?
1: Just the library. Okay. I wasn't gonna spend money on it. When
0: you say you read the beginning and the ending, you mean like the the first issue of that arc and the last issue, or like are you talking about the echo trades?
1: pretty sure i read the first issue i don't think i finished the first trade i think the first issue was more than enough for me (laughs) (laughs) i read the first issue and i was like man i'm not gonna waste my time with the rest of this there are other comics i gotta read Uh, and then i just out of curiosity i read the the final issue and i was like man that i couldn't yeah, I guess somebody who's a staunch defender of that run could say the only reason you didn't like the last issue was because you didn't read the entire thing, so therefore you're missing out on a lot of context and gravity that lends, you know, that that lends the weight to the conclusion. But I think I feel confident enough to say that I've read enough <laughs> superhero comics and Spider-Man comics in particular to know. What's good and what's yeah. bad? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much, man.
0: Dan slot. More like Dan Not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say I thought you were gonna say Dan Snot.
0: <laughs> it wouldn't have been quite as relevant. <laughs> More like Dan Not such a good idea for a spider-man story
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah he's for somebody who's who's so prominent at marvel he's definitely not written too many comics I like yeah
0: yeah
1: you know what I learned recently I learned that a, back in the day dude uh Fraction, and, and Aja, after they had finished on Immortal Iron Fist, they actually pitched Marvel on doing a run on Spider-Man.
0: Really? Yeah, did
1: they, they wanted want to, to sh- do they wanted to do a, they wanted to do to Spider-Man what they did with Immortal Iron Fist.
0: They wanted to create a magical city with a bunch of different spider characters? Uh
1: probably not that. <laughs> I just meant <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just meant they wanted to leave their mark on Spider-Man, the way oh. they did with Iron Fist. Okay,
0: you know, so I took to you do
1: No, they they wanted to do something really, really fitting for the character. And so they they actually pitched Marvel, and I I learned that because Dan Slott was the writer of Spider-Man at the time, he actually didn't want to share his toys with with them you know like he didn't want to he didn't want them to do anything to his continuity so that's why that's pretty much why they they stopped doing stuff at marvel
0: that's uh that sours me on dance a little yeah
1: yeah yeah man yeah because I mean, like pretty much after that like Baker was like well if marvel doesn't want to let me do that then i'm just gonna do my own thing and he hasn't looked back since you know because he doesn't need marvel yeah but yeah. but we got robbed of a classic spider-man run
0: yeah i mean i was gonna say like i, I don't i imagine that dan Slott didn't go so far as to like go out of his way to say that these guys need to go or anything like that but yeah it, it just sounds like
1: I think, yeah, I think it was more just the fact that Marvel deferred to Dan Slott yeah. in f- in f- favor of him uh, over Brubaker, Fraction, and Nadja. Yeah. You know, Marvel made that choice, and that was a dumb choice. Yeah,
0: they lost out. On the, they lost out. We lost out.
1: Yeah, because can you imagine if if uh, Marvel did let them do that with Spider Man, and what what if what if. They continued to write more marvel comics after that
0: yeah. i feel like fraction well no i, I don't know who i I want to say that brubaker left first before fraction because it feels like fraction was still on over at marvel for a little while longer
1: yeah yeah i um, mean fraction and Nadja did hawkeye yeah yeah and, and once brubaker finished his Captain America run, he was out, man. He didn't need yeah. him anymore.
0: Yeah, it's a it, it's a shame for them to lose talent like that. I mean, we're we're still getting guys like Rosenberg and you know Charles uh, Soule, Charles Soule, Jed McKay doing comics over there,
1: and don't forget about the Donny,
0: the Donny the donnie
1: <laughs> hey he gave a fresh start to venom man
0: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> we did not include that on our list because we actively chose not to but yeah <laughs> uh. yeah man uh Man, you you stunned me a little with that information because now I'm just kind of over here like, man, what could have been?
1: Yeah, I I just heard that on a another podcast a couple of month like a few weeks ago, or maybe a month or two ago.
0: Yeah. Did they go into like, like uh, yeah? Did they happen to mention like what they, any details about what they would have done, or was it just?
1: No, that's pretty much all I learned. Oh yeah
0: man. that's rough
1: yep just like 2020 man
0: just like 2020 so you know we hope that this uh yeah you have anything else to add drew
1: nope i think we've uh gone on pretty long yeah don't really well, have much else
0: well, we hope that, uh, you know, you guys have learned a little something from our fresh starts, and we hope that we've given you the opportunity to investigate further and immerse yourselves in some good comics, and uh, we hope that 2021 is the fresh start that all of us need.
1: Yep, and if anyone out there listening has any uh, suggestions for anything that we should have talked about or mentioned, hit a sub. Yeah. Tell us about
0: your fresh starts. We'd love to hear. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Between the Gutters, signing off. Peace out.